Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past six. This is your breakfast show here until nine o'clock. Am I the only person in the country that's starting to feel a bit sorry for Nick Buckles? I feel sorry for him. Did you see him yesterday? If you didn't see it, it's worth digging out. Nick Buckles being um, questioned uh, yesterday... Everyone kept going, so, uh, Mr Buckles, uh, this is a complete and utter shambles, isn't it? Yes, sir. It was like he was stood in the headmaster's office. Yes, sir. I'm very sorry, sir. Why don't you give the soldiers £500 each? Yeah, OK, I'll do that. Whatever they said... Yeah, OK, yeah, no, I'll do that. Yeah, I'm really sorry. There's a man who does not want to lose his job. And I said this yesterday, if you ever saw the, uh, the, the, the show on Channel 4, I nearly called it a documentary. It, it, that would be stretching it quite a bit. Uh, the show called The Hotel that followed a bumbling uh, hotel manager around in uh, Newquay, I think it was, a guy called Mark. He looks exactly the same as Nick Buckles. He's kind of got that sort of, you know, wiry mullet, basically, is what he's got. And that kind of strange... It's hard to describe. Go and Google them. I might tweet both of their pictures later on, and uh, you, you can have a look. But poor Nick Buckles... He's getting it from every side at the moment. Oh, bless him. He's just a bungling multi-millionaire boss of a company. That's all. We'd all be there, wouldn't we? Let's Maybe we should ease off buckles. Ease off buckles. I think this morning... I do need your input this morning. So I'm going to give you the phone number in a few minutes. And uh, you need to jot it down, because I need you to call in. There's a few things. First of all, we'll be talking about Love Luton. Um, the festival that went ahead uh, at the weekend. D- did you go... Uh, a couple of weekends ago, wasn't it? It was a while ago. Time is flying by, this. Did you go? Was it any good? Were you surprised by the lack of numbers? We're going to be finding out exactly how many tickets they sold and how much it's cost. Yeah. Swearing in football is under the microscope. If it can, such a thing could happen. We'll be asking, is swearing in football ever acceptable? Or is it just part of the game? You know, these, these are... They're thick millionaires, aren't they, basically? What else have they got at their disposal? We'll be finding out about that. And here's something I'm I'm really excited about. Aliens. Ooh, yes. NASA are sending a probe to Mars to find out what's going on. You believe in aliens? Ever seen a UFO? Oh, I have. I have. Let me tell you. More and, and more and more and more throughout the show. 08459 455 555. Speak to you after this. Stoosh. Stooshy Blackheart. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast. Good morning. I had a row with a friend yesterday. <clears throat> Not a proper row, wasn't it? You know, but it, was, it got a little bit more heated than perhaps it should. I was in his car and he put some music on and I said, I'll turn this rubbish off. You went, what? I said, I'll turn, but please, just turn this rubbish off. You know, this is one of the greatest bands of all time. What are you talking about? It was U2. It was U2. I'm not a fan of U2. I don't get them at all. Uh, and I was, I was thinking, are there any bands that you, as a listener, just you just don't get? You're com- you think are completely overrated? You can text on this one, 81333. Start your text 3CR. There are some people out there who don't like the Beatles. Can you imagine that? They don't like the Beatles. I'm not a fan of the Rolling Stones. I think there are three really good Stone songs. And the rest are a bit... Um, you know, just a bit... Really? 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Bands that you think are really overrated, that you just don't get. 
81333. Start your text, Alicia. And one of the reasons I don't like the, the YouTube, I've never really liked them, but uh, a few years ago, about three or four years ago, I went to see Cat Stevens in concert, Yusuf Islam as he is now. And it was the first concert he'd done to the public in years, like in about 25 years or something. And I bought very expensive tickets off of uh, an internet auction site, eBay. Very expensive tickets. And me and my wife were there, and we were quite near the front, about five people back. It was, uh, was it at the Shepherd's Bush Empire? Something like that. It was a small venue. Uh, and it was to celebrate Island Records' birthday. Uh, and they had all these kind of island artists came out, and this, this uh, drummer came out, this, this uh, guy was singing and stuff like that, and he was about to... And it was awful. Really awful. Uh, Baba Marl, that was it. Uh, and he was about to leave, and we're thinking, yes, Cat Stevens is going to come on at last. And as he left, he came back on. I thought he was going to do an encore. And then U2 wandered out. So it's U2 in Shepherd's Bush Empire with Baba Marl playing Bob Marley songs. The crowd went mental. Everyone in the crowd went berserk because you two were playing a secret gig and we were lucky enough to be there in the audience. Everyone in that crowd went mental, apart from me and my wife, who gave out a loud, oh, no, not them idiots. You two. Because, you know, if you two walk out on stage, they're going to play for a long time. And everyone's going, more, more. And I'm thinking, less. Less. It dragged on. You two playing Bob Marley songs, that's, that's hell for me. Bob Marley, another artist I don't get, who I think is incredibly overrated. So I thought we could do that this morning on the text. Might be a little bit of fun. 81333. Start your text. 3CR. Bands or acts that you think are really overrated, that you, you just don't get. Nirvana, there's another one. I don't get them. And I'm supposed to get them because they were my generation. No, hang on, that was the who. I, I just don't... I've never quite seen the appeal. There's that pop song they did, um, the, the Teen Spirit one, which is good. But the rest of it... Oh, it's just so tedious. And it just goes on and on and on. 813-33. Start your text, 3CR. It would be nice to know uh, what bands and what artists do you think are overrated, that you just don't get. If there's anybody out there that doesn't like the Beatles... What? I'd love to hear from you, because the, surely, the, surely the Beatles are just, they're the, the, the basic of modern pop music. That, that's kind of, everyone likes that, because everything springs forth from them. That's, you know, that's obvious, isn't it? I would be surprised, nay disappointed, if there is somebody listening to this show right now who does not like the Beatles. I, I, I just won't believe it. I can't believe it. 813-33, start your text, 3CR. We've got loads of stuff this morning. It's a very busy show. We'll be talking about Love Luton. If you went, I'm really keen to hear from you. Did you go? Did you have a good time? Were you surprised at the size of the crowds? Because it could have been busier, couldn't it? We're going to be speaking to uh, our uh, political reporter, Paul Scoynes, in a little bit to find out exactly what happened at the Love Luton Festival. Uh, How many people went and how much money it cost and where is that money going to come from? If you went 08459, 455555, I'd be keen to know. Uh, Swearing in football. Is it acceptable, ever? They do it a lot. And of course they do it, because they're those kind of people, aren't they? But, and I, I, I'm quite a swearer. I'm trying to curb it. I curb it a lot now. And I think maybe that's since I became a dad. I told some builders off the other day in my street for effing and jeffing. Uh, and aliens and UFOs. Ever seen a UFO? Uh, you will be, if you have, come on the show this morning. You will not be mocked by me, because I have seen a UFO flying across the sky 
08459 555 555. I have seen one. Totally into it. Uh, oh, we've got a few texts already. You're up early, dear listener. Thank you for that. Well done. We'll read these out in a little bit. But um, I'm, I'm really keen to get your calls on UFOs. I will not mock you. I will not tease you. I will do nothing of the sort. Because I've seen one, and I believe, and NASA are spending a fortune sending a probe to Mars to find out what's going on, to see if there, have, there are signs of life. Is there life on Mars? We'll find out. Maybe not today, but eventually. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. It's 615 exactly. Oh, I'm going to quick look at these texts. The summer of 76 was a long, hot one. I was in the RAF at the time, at RAF Henlow and Beds from Nick and Hitchin. Does that relate to anything that we've been talking about, or is Nick, is Nick just showing off? Um, sounds like Love Luton thing was a fast, just like the Olympics will be. Uh, that's from Nick and Hitchin. Maybe, maybe Nick was sending a text to someone else. Um, um, if there was a gold medal for mess-ups, UK PLC would win hands down. The banks fiddling interest rates, bad ticket sales for Love Loot, and the security for the Olympics, we never learn. Um, Phil says, uh, I saw Cat Stevens on that tour up in Birmingham. What a great show. It was a good show. You'll get a chance to see Cat Stevens, Yusuf. Oh, then definitely go. 6.15. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Here are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Luton Borough Council has revealed the number of tickets it sold for the recent Love Luton concerts. The council sold a little over 5,500 tickets in total, though not all at full price. Police are investigating the rape of a man in Milton Keynes. The attack took place in the early hours of Monday morning. The man, aged in his 20s, was assaulted by a group of between four and six men on a redway in Greenleys. In sport, Watford drew one all at Boreham Wood in last night's friendly, their first match under new manager Jan Franco Zola. Coming up after the weather, we'll, uh, with Steve Weston, we'll be talking about swearing in football. Can it ever be stopped, or should we just accept it? I just don't get you two. I don't get them. What's the point of them? They serve no purpose. They're irritating, and their songs are banal. Eight one. Sorry, I'm in a proper mood now. Eight one three double three. Start your text three CR bands that you just don't get. And if you've ever seen a UFO. 08459 455 555. We've got a, a, an expert coming on in the next half hour or so. Uh, and you can kind of put what you've seen to him. Shall we have a quick look at the front page of the newspaper, shall we? The Times. Uh, who us? First couple get caught at the ball game. So this is a picture of uh, Michelle and Barack Obama who went to go and watch a ball game. What's a ball game? Is that basketball? Probably. And then they kissed. Married couple kiss. Shocker. Ouch. Uh, an H- now, this is, a, this is a fascinating story on the front page of the Times. HSBC was used to clean drugs money. Bank chief apologises to US Senate hearing. So the HSBC, it's, it's being alleged, uh, took dirty Mexican drug money. That's, uh, th- that is one to look out for, because that's... Uh, you, th- these banks, come on, guys. Huh? Come on. What are you thinking about? The Guardian... Taxi for Mr Buckles. MPs, savage, G4S boss over Olympics chaos. I love Nick Buckles. I really do. I feel sorry. He's like a sort of just a, a shaggy puppy, isn't he? Just bumbling around like a fool. Uh, HSB shame over cash for drug barons. Bank subsidiaries allowed money to be laundered through offshore accounts. Uh, and Tetra Pak Air charged with preventing wife's burial. It's a tragic story about that, uh, 
that couple. Another tragic story about a couple on the front page of the Daily Telegraph. Buried for ten days under landslide. This is Rosemary Snell and her friend, a man in his 70s, were left, buried in a, land, in a landslide. I think this is in, um, what was it, Dorset? Yeah. For ten days. The police said no one searched for them as it had been a busy weekend. Uh, and fees that can halve the value of your pension. Millions of savers are being misled by city fund managers about hidden fees that can almost halve the value of their pensions. I've got a pension fund. It's with Barclays. Uh, and I'm, I'm putting money in. And I got my statement the other day. I said, yes, if, if you carry on putting money in at this rate, when you retire, you'll have uh, £5,000 a year. What? What? I can't live on that. Uh, Army's raw recruits may be called up to fill Olympics gap. A further 2,000 troops could be drafted in to protect the Olympics Games uh, if the security situations uh, worked. Uh, Worsen, sorry. And there's an Alzheimer's halted for years by drug. Now, there's a, there's, this is on the front page of the Telegraph. It's also on the front page of the Express. The Express always do um, the, the medical stories. They're a little bit reactionary. I'm never quite convinced by them. But it's on the front page of the Telegraph, so maybe there's something in it. Uh, pill to beat Alzheimer's. New treatment will stop disease for three years. Alzheimer's sufferers and their devastated families were last night given uh, new hope after scientists hailed the most exciting breakthrough yet in the search for a cure. Really? It'd be interesting to, to follow that one and see what happens. The, the, the Express always do these slightly reactionary stories about um, medical breakthroughs, and I'm never convinced by them. But maybe there's something... It's always re- red wine stops MS. Uh, they actually did that as a story once, and I'm not convinced that that is uh, necessarily the case. Oh eight four five nine. Four double five five double five is the telephone number. We'll go through the rest of the papers uh, a little bit later on uh, in the show. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Luton Borough Council has revealed the number of tickets it sold for the recent Love Luton concerts. Artists' contracts meant the numbers were kept secret until a council meeting last night. It's estimated that more than seventy five thousand people attended the festival, including the Free Olympic Torch concert just over a week ago. But it came at a cost. Unsold tickets for Oli Moors and the Wanted means the council overspent its budget by how much we don't know yet. Uh, our political reporter Paul Scoynes is in the studio now. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Ian. Um, give us the numbers. What, the, how many went? How many tickets did they sell, and at what price? Okay. Well, we know that they sold. So they, they had three ticket sales, yep. almost, if you like. So they had a full price ticket sale, and they reduced it, and then they reduced it even further. So we know that around 2,455 tickets were sold at full price. Mm-hmm. That was around over £30, probably about £32 or so. That's a lot of... And is that for one concert or is that for both concerts? One concert. That's a lot of money for Ollie Moores, isn't it's it? It's a lot of money for yeah. Ollie Moores and it's a lot of money for the wanted. Yeah. We sort of saw that early on. We thought, well, that's quite expensive. Yeah. How are they going to do that? They dropped the tickets. No. They dropped them to £25, but they only sold 74 at that price. That is terrible. So they dropped them again uh, two weeks before the concert, and that went down to £15. Now, you did see some big ticket sales at that point. It went up to 3158 right. 15 quid's all right. 15 quid's all right. That's what you kind of expect, actually. The people that paid the £30, mm. would they not be a bit annoyed that suddenly it was cheaper? Well, they were annoyed, right. and what they got was more tickets. <laughs> so if you bought four <laughs> tickets at full price, you'd get given four extra tickets. Okay, yeah. Now, those extra tickets magically uh, appear as 2,455, which is the same amount as the full sold. But we know that not everyone claimed their tickets or not everyone used their tickets. So it's a little bit kind of when they say, oh, 8,000, over 8,000. 
uh, is the number of tickets sold. Well, it's not. And the over 8,000, that's for both nights? For, uh, yeah, for both nights, but actually it's, it's 5,500, actually, right, when okay. you look at the actual tickets paid for. How many should they have sold? Have sold? Well, if you go back to December, um, and they had a meeting then where they were looking at all of the risks of the carnival and uh, the festival over the weekend, what they needed to do. And bear in mind that this whole concert was put on to support the money uh, or to support the LOCOG concert, mm. which actually had 12,000 people. Right, OK, it. yes. Um, which was, it wasn't going to cost a lot of money to stage because LOCOG pay for it, right. pretty much. They pay for all the artists, they pay for the staging. All the councils have to do is pay for all the roads to be closed, all the sort of security barriers and so on. They had to sell a minimum, it says here, in order to break even for the whole weekend, we need to sell a minimum of 10,000 tickets on both Friday and Saturday night. And uh, the full, the original full price? The full price. Ouch. Yes. That's a huge shortfall. So if you think about it, then on that basis, they've only sold a quarter of the tickets that they needed to at a, ver- a variety of different prices so they needed on their on their on their budgeting their proposal was that they would get something in the region of five well they would get five hundred and sixty two thousand pounds mm. from ticket sales now i've just kind of done a quick back of the sort of envelope jot of that two thousand four hundred and fifty five tickets at full price gets in around eight thousand pounds mm. seventy four Tickets at £25, well, that comes in at around £1,800. Uh, 3,158 at £15, around £4,737. So that's quite a bit short of the half a million pounds that they were anticipating getting from that. So it'd be interesting to see, really, because we still don't know what the full figures are, because mm. we were supposed to find out last night, but it's been delayed, so we won't know until the next full council meeting, although I would hope we'll know beforehand. You would think so. Why, why was it delayed last night? Why didn't they have it last night? They just haven't had all the oh, come bills on. in. Well, they said, I mean, they said, oh, it was a week ago, we haven't had time to, you know, and they, they might still have, we okay. know there are still bills coming in, but... How are they going to find that shortfall? So what what is the shortfall? How big is the shortfall? Well, we We don't know. We actually don't know. know. What we know is that they had an insurance fund that they self-insured. So they put £300,000 of their own money away Mm. from reserves and used that as a sort of fallback in case we need it. They announced two weeks, well, about two days before the concert, after we kept hammering them, that they were going to have to use 290000 of it. That figure would suggest they're going to have to find some more. Paul, listen, we're going to be speaking to you later on. We've got some guests coming in who are hopefully going to explain what's been going on. You're speaking to the council leader. Oh, my goodness gracious mm-hmm. me. Uh, I, I, can I say congratulations on the most thorough <laughs> notes I have ever seen? There's, there are sheets, there's a notebook. You've, you, you're working this. Well, you know, I like to try and... We're talking about bands that are overrated. Mm. You, we mentioned, we're talking about this off air. You kind of went for the Beach Boys, and that's blasphemy where I come from. Well, OK, I'm going to have to qualify that. Please do. Because I saw Brian Wilson a couple of years ago, and I just... What's the fuss? He's not even singing. Um, he doesn't do a lot, but he's a legend. That's fair. Yes. <laughs> no, I love fair. it. I would have to plump for Coldplay. Coldplay would be yours. Just, yeah, but that's too easy in some ways. It is a sitting duck in this kind of argument, isn't it? Really. But then you two, too. I think you're, you're probably right. the same. We're going for easy targets. Mm. Uh, t- tell me yours. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Bands that are just completely overrated, that you, you, you just don't understand why people love them. Thank you very much, Sophie. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast. We will be talking to uh, various people about the Love Luton Festival. Would really like to talk to you if you were there. If you uh, went, what happened? Was it good? Did you enjoy yourself? Did you buy a £30 ticket? And then find out the tickets were £15? 
I would have been gutted if that had been the case. Absolutely gutted. 08459 455 555. Let's get the latest news and sport now with Simon Oxley. Oh, the little button on my computer didn't work there, which is a shame. That's, uh, never mind. What you were supposed to hear was a uh, jingle. Let's give it the phone number. 08449 555. 555-08459-455-555. It's my fault, don't worry. It's my fault. I'll, I'll, we'll get it sorted out. I guarantee you will hear that jingle at some point this morning, uh, dear listener. Uh, we're t- taking your texts on bands that you think are overrated. 81333. Starting your text, 3CR. Phil has written, how could I forget Oasis? They are so wet. It's provoking a reaction from the production crew. Not necessarily a good reaction. Kirsty, I don't like the Beatles. Oh, I don't think you're allowed to listen to this show. Switch off. Although she, she then says she doesn't like Oasis and you too. Give me Sam Cooke, Elvis, or The Jam any day. Well, we're not going to give you The Jam. Instead, we are going to give you a band that everybody likes. Everybody likes The Monkeys, don't they? Everybody likes The Monkeys, and this is the best pop song of all time ever. Let that play all the way out. It's just, it's just the best pop song of all time. Isn't it? We might do that tomorrow, the best, the best song of all time. We'll do that just tomorrow, so a little text in the best song of all time. Chelsea's John Terry has highlighted the use of bad language on the football pitch following the recent racism case. Now the Culture Secretary wants to tackle the issue. BBC Three Counties has been speaking to clubs across beds, hearts and bucks about swearing in football. Some say putting a ban on bad language, bad language would be difficult, whereas others already aim to discourage swearing at their clubs. Reporter Serena Farrow went to speak to one of those clubs, Hitchin Bell, where Simon O'Leary is the chairman. We're a young club. Our players start at under eights. We go right through to an adult team. We ask our parents and players to sign a code of conduct when they register, which includes behaviour to make sure that they, they abide by you know, our code of conduct uh, principles. Do you have signs up? Is there like, you know, do you make a tannoy announcement or is it just something people know? And we have a, the FA respect barrier which goes up. So the parents stay one side of the pitch, the coaches are the other. So therefore, you know, we, we don't expect our parents to be sort of even giving instructions and coaching the kids, just encouragement is what we ask from the parents so the players can understand, you know, who they should be listening to, which is obviously a whole FA, you know, campaign about bringing respect into the whole game, really, which includes obviously not swearing, playing the game in the right way. Of course, there's no distinction between girls, boys, women, men. No, none at all. I think that because girls' football is new and it's growing, I think the good thing for us is obviously we get them young and therefore the parents, you know, we can obviously make sure that the parents know, you know, how to behave as well. But of course, with the older ones, let's say the ladies, there is going to be a bit of swearing. What happens there if a player swears or indeed parent? If a parent swears, then obviously the club has to deal with that, you know, um, can take, you know, measures to speak to that parent to understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and tell them that they shouldn't be doing it. Eventually, we can bring in measures that they'll be, you know, asked to leave. Because I believe someone was banned last year. That did happen, apparently. Uh, there was a, an issue, which I think was resolved at the time, you know, by the chairman that was there and the FA. But uh, obviously, you know, the referees are there to sort of govern the game, and uh, if they hear swearing, you know, no doubt they'll deal with, deal with that, and that could be yellow cards, red cards, and, and if, if the player gets fined or the club gets fined, then, you know, it gets up to each club to see how they would manage that fine, whether the pay, player pays it or whether the club pays it. What are we talking about? What kind of figure? Gosh, I'm going back to when I used to play, which is a long time ago, but uh, then... Decades! <laughs> yeah, it was you know, around £30, £40 pounds yeah. for a booking for a yellow card and yeah. sending off, you know, more. And 
look, it's just a shame, though, that this isn't going to be widened to Premier League games, is it? This is just very much on a local level, and I suppose, like you say, youngsters... Correct. I mean, it's got to start from you know, the players that are on the telly, giving a good example. Do you think there should be better discipline in place? Do you think there should be fines for even supporters in the crowds? Discipline, yes. I think it's up to the referees to, you know, to ensure that they are you know, enforcing those rules. You know, the media has a, has a part to play. If a referee does everything by the letter of the law, they'll be probably sending off six players a game and therefore will come under scrutiny from the media for ruining the, you know, the match and the entertainment spectacle. I've heard other arguments about docking teams' points where it hurts them the most because finding a, a premiership player who earns hundreds of thousands of pounds isn't really going to hurt them, but it might hurt the club if they get docked points for poor discipline. Thank you. Uh, what do you think about it? I'm really keen uh, to get your view on this. 08459 455 Is it acceptable in football? I kind of, a few years ago, I mean, I don't particularly like football, but I didn't really care, and I swear a bit, and, you know. But I think since having kids, I've certainly curbed my swearing. I don't never swear in front of the kids, never. I did once. I did once. I was driving my little boy, and someone cut me up, and um, I, I can't even hint at what the word is, but I called a man. Uh, I said, oh, that man is a certain part of the male anatomy. And my little boy repeated it in the back of the car and I was like oh my god and I, so I, I was then trying to feed other words to him so that he wouldn't go home and say that to his mum because <laughs> I would have been in terrible trouble so I don't swear in front of the kids and the thing with footballers is it's watched by loads of kids kids look up to these multi-millionaires uh, and they respect them on the, the local level as well you know they look up to these footballers and it's good that the local clubs are tackling this but is it acceptable in football. Am I being a little bit oversensitive? You know, there's a lot of aggression and there's a lot of physicality and there's the heat of the moment and sometimes these things come out. Am I being a little bit too sensitive? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. There was that incident, was it the World Cup? When Wayne Rooney ran up to the camera and, and said something. He he said something or he I'm not sure, he mouthed something. And I watched that and I thought, Oh, you horrible little man. You horrible... What what good is that doing? You know, and that isn't a heat of the moment going up to your mates in the team and going, you know, effing and jeffing. That's going up to millions of people and just being obnoxious. 08459 455 555. We can expand this as well into the workplace, swearing in the workplace. You work with someone who's got a potty mouth and is constantly using indoor language. Or maybe you do. Maybe, you know, hey, it's just words. What's the problem? Sticks and stones and all of that. I think it's really interesting. And uh, I know that if I were to swear continuously in the office, uh, I would not last the two and a half weeks I have left here. I might get taken aside by someone and just, you know, that's a bit inappropriate. And if I carried it on, I would probably be asked to leave. I think regardless of my performance uh, on air. So footballers and swearing and swearing in the workplace, is it ever acceptable? Or is it just does it show a lack of intelligence i do think listen i do think that a, 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 an f-bomb that drops at the right moment in a conversation can be very powerful and can be very funny if you do it at the right moment by the way this is an invitation for you to phone up and swear at me that's not what 
Let's let's try and avoid that. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. It's six forty five exactly. Beds, hearts, and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Here are the headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Luton Borough Council has revealed the number of tickets it sold for the re- recent Love Luton concerts. The council sold a little over 5,500 tickets in total, though not all at full price. Police were investigating the rape of a man in Milton Keynes. The attack took place in the early hours of Monday morning. The man, aged in his 20s, was assaulted by a group of between four and six men on a redway in Greenlees. In sport, Watford drew one all at Boreham Wood in last night's friendly, their first match under new manager Gianfranco Zola. And coming up, we'll be finding out aliens. Really? Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. If any of the stories this morning uh, affect you or touch you or you just want to give your opinion on them, then do give me a call. I'm hoping this next one will. I'm hoping that we will get people brave enough to phone in and say, yes, I, I've, I've seen a UFO. Oh, yeah, 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 I've seen it. If that's you, and I will, you know, listen, you're not going to get laughed at by me. 08459 455 555. I'll tell you why we're talking about this. Because NASA have launched a new programme to look for signs of life on Mars. The Mars Science Laboratory is due to arrive on the Red Planet on August the 6th. Do you take the prospect of life existing in space seriously? A Hertfordshire man says we should. Harry Challenger is the editor of Flying Source Review. It's been going since the 1950s and is based in Rickmansworth. Good morning, Harry. Good morning. Why should we believe that there is more life out there? Um, Well, if it's relating to this Mars story, this is what we call astrobiology, which is looking for microbes and fossil evidence, etc. So the actual story that's in the press is more to do with microbes, and it's not very glamorous. But in general... Uh, we're looking at our 10,000 years of civilization mm. since the beginning of civilization that we know is recorded history. Um, we want to look at that and say, well, what's that in the cosmic time? And does anything else possibly exist out there that could have intelligence, which is non-human? That's the basic question. Um, if you're relating it to Hertfordshire or the three counties area, do people have encounters? Yes, they do. Um, I think there was a BBC chap, funny enough, uh, two years ago, wasn't there, who was coming from northern Hertfordshire and had an encounter with a craft in the early hours of the morning. So that relates to the BBC. That was in the press a couple of years back. But generally, um, is there life out there? It depends. I, I, I say to people, look at your own independent sources. Mm. Don't rely on the media. Don't rely on um, the lack of debate even though we've got a very sophisticated uh, media out there with loads and loads of different channels and you can be on your iPhone or surfing the internet, you've got to remember that actually it's the quality of original reports. That's what Flying Saucer Review was always about from the 1950s. Original reports by individuals, people who are working, people like yourself, all the commuters this morning, Mm. all the people who've got up. It's their story. It's not... An opinion of uh, a journalist, say, working at a newspaper or an opinion of a scientific uh, reporter or someone debating in the media, it's an individual. It's someone who's had an encounter with an object, which is not one of ours, and who then knows. So that's all I say to people is trust other people's word. Don't look at the media. Um, Well, we will use the media, but you've got to remember what it's there for. Yeah. Harry, what 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 have you seen yourself? 
Um, well, I've seen a number of objects since about 96. Um, I've certainly seen them in the Watford area. I've seen them in northern Hertfordshire. Um, there are objects out there. They're um, very much uh, not ours, what we call anti-gravity sort of devices, objects that can move uh, without visible means of propulsion. Um, there's a number of people across Britain who, who regularly know about these things, and it's just a, you know, a matter-of-fact uh, approach that British people have had throughout history. We're a nation of explorers, you've got to remember. Mm. It's only relatively recently that we've stopped becoming a global power, if you like. But uh, we've always been explorers, and people who deal with this subject are explorers. I find this fascinating. I, I, and surely, you know, mathematically... There has to be something out there that's intelligent. Exactly, and then if you look at the physics that we keep getting fed, which is, you know, the quantum ideas or even the, you know, the collider, all these things, they're telling us that matter, what, what we're made of, the stuff we see around us, is nothing like the kind of what we call Newtonian ideas, where we have solid walls and we have solid, you know, um, ground underneath us. Everything is actually waves. Mm. So if you jump science two or three hundred years ahead... And if everything's waves, you could overcome gravity, you could overcome even space-time and distance. It just happens to be that our current thinking and what actually goes on behind the scenes, should we say, in military research into science and into high-tech, um, totally different. So you've got to remember what we're receiving is a tiny little slice of information that mm. tells us what we're no allowed to know about any particular subject. The Open University in Milton Keynes uh, was given almost uh, £700,000 of government funding to investigate life on Mars. Is that money well spent, do you think? Well, absolutely, because we've, we've got to look at the genetic heritage, if you like, of life itself. And it, you, once you move beyond Earth, and again, it's your mental uh, picture of what, what we're looking at, it's possible that, that, you know, to understand life itself is a fundamental that we have to know. So if Mars had its own three and a half billion years ago and its own ocean and had exactly the same evolution as we had, we'd need to know about it. It's worth spending. Actually, you're saying that the, um, the, the rover which NASA is, is, is going to arrive on Mars in the next month or so, that they, it could just find mi microbes. But that's still really exciting because that would imply... That's, that's still... Yeah, the, the separate life. lineage, separate lineage of life. Yeah, it's separate to Earth lineage. I mean, the debates have been that meteorites that have been lifted off Mars, should we say, through impacts and then hit the Earth in, you know, in the last few million years. People have looked at these, and we have what we call fossil evidence of microbe activity. But people, it, it's not definitive. So what they're looking for is this definitive fingerprint for life, which then tells us that life occurs everywhere and not just unique to the Earth. So. I've, uh, listen, I've, I've always been open-minded, and uh, about three years ago, me and my wife saw something from our flat. We saw a, a light in the sky, and I went, oh, look, there's a UFO. Oh, my God, it actually is a UFO, and it was this light. It was sort of early evening. It wasn't that dark. This light just streaking in a very straight, fast line across the sky. It wasn't an aeroplane. It, wasn't, it was literally a UFO in as much as it was an un unidentified flying object. And that has completely convinced me that, that, that there is other stuff out there. Is there anywhere in Beds, Hearts and Bucks that's, that gets a particularly high number of uh, sightings that people can maybe head towards? Well, that's a good question. I mean, people can look on the internet and look at um, previous reports and, you know, look at the maps, if you like, of activity. There's certainly sort of, should we say, tracking paths, yeah. which people call window areas where UFOs appear. And there's well-known UFO windows in this country, like Wiltshire, um, what should we say, um, areas on the south coast, uh, North Wales, um, the, the sort of 
the northeast coast of England along the Channel, uh, sorry, the North Sea. Uh, we're looking at, um, in Hertfordshire itself, yes, there are locations, but really it's down to the individual. Um, if you look in your local area, you will find where the UFO sightings occur. Now, I can give people tips. And the main Very one quickly, is, if you could, in 30 yeah, seconds, Harry. The main one is where there's high-voltage cables and water. These are the two things that have been picked up over the years, that these UFOs aren't running on nothing. They're running on something called electrostatic charging. They can actually charge themselves off the grid. FSR had a story from a chap who's since died, but he was um, running the national grid back in the 70s, and they were, no- were noticing uptake off pylons, that there was power drops. Harry, listen, we've got to end it there because we're running out of time, but thank you so much. That's Harry Challenger, who is the editor of Flying Saucer Review. It's been going since the 1950s and is, is well worth uh, a look. Well, what do you think? Have you seen anything? I'm, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I'm a complete believer because I have seen something. Have you seen something? Or do you think it's complete and utter nonsense? 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Thank you very much to ha- Harry Challenger. They're fascinating. Oh, a new song has been added to the Three Counties playlist this week, courtesy of our BBC Introducing Show. Introducing supports bands and musicians from the Three Counties. Just like Colleen Taylor, a singer-songwriter from Hertfordshire. He performed on the BBC Introducing Stage at, Rhythm of the, at Rhythms of the World at the weekend. The track you'll hear every day this week is his brand new single called It'll Get Better. That was Colleen Taylor from Hertfordshire with his track It'll Get Better. You can hear more music made in the Three Counties every Friday night from 7 with Gareth Lloyd. This Friday, BBC Introducing will be live from the Bedford River Festival. There we go. Seven o'clock, bang on the nose. Let's get the latest news and travel. Uh, news and sport, I do apologise, with Simon Oxley. After that, we'll be talking more about Love Luton Festival and your bands that are overrated. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's turn the mic. You see, talk about technicals, uh, Paul. There's, there's one. Turn the microphone on. That's a basic. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast. Good morning to you. Now, Borough Council has revealed the number of tickets it sold for the recent Love Luton concerts. Artist contracts meant the numbers were kept secret until a council meeting last night. It's estimated that more than 75,000 people attended the festival, including the free Olympic torch concert just over a week ago. But it came at a cost. Unsold tickets for Ollie Murs and The Wanted means the council overspent its budget by how much? We just don't know yet. Our political reporter, Paul Scoynes, was at last night's meeting. What happened at the meeting, Paul? Right, Ian. Well, the, the, what they were setting out is that the reason for putting on these concerts was a response to the Torch concert, the Lowcock concert that they, uh, they were offered and they took. So what they thought they'd do is they reduced the cost of that. They put on a couple of other extra concerts, showcased Luton in a good light, and everyone's happy. And that would pay for the local concert? That would also pay for the local concert, okay. yeah, and all of the, the, the savings. Uh, and the council leader, Hazel Simmons, who you'll talk to in about an hour's time, said they certainly did that. Well, what we got last night were some of the figures that we've been asking for ages and haven't been able to get the ticket sales so we know that 2455 tickets were sold at the full price which is around 32 pounds uh 74 tickets were sold when they reduced that price to 25 pounds uh and when they further reduced that price two weeks before the end of the concert or before the start of the concert sorry uh, they sold 3158 uh tickets at that 15 pound price now crude uh, calculations mm. that I've just done uh, work then out at around £129,000 of ticket sales. Right. Now, 
look back to December and a meeting then which set out the proposal for the concert, it says here, proposal, point seventeen, five £562,000 anticipated ticket sales for the concerts. So that's a significant shortfall. It's a shortfall of around £438,000. As I say, those, those are my calculations, okay. not theirs. Well, we still don't know theirs because they haven't published them. OK, but they're, they're, do we have any idea when they're going to publish them? Well, it's by next council. Now, that's September, potentially, so right. I think we'll know before then. OK. Um, but we'll hopefully find out in the next couple of weeks. Any surprises last night? Any, anything that, that caught you Well, that, that really was, I think, the main surprise. Yeah. I mean, we, we looked at... Uh, I mean, they did mention that there were some other benefits and, and, you know, that lots of people had a good time. Yeah. And that the hotels in the area did very well over the weekend. Um, uh, and that the... It brought, surely it brought people into the area, which yeah, has to be a good thing. absolutely. One of the uh, restaurants in town said it trebled its sales on Monday morning. Morning. Fantastic. Um, and uh, they estimate, with the photographs of Lewis and things like that running through the town, uh, on, in, in many of the national papers, mm. they reckon that that estimated around £250,000 worth of publicity, okay. if you like. So those are some of the positives. They also said it was a very low you know, uh, uh, crime event. There was only one arrest. So actually, they, they say it did show Luton in okay. a good light. Well, David Franks is the leader of the opposition Lib Dem group on Luton Borough Council. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ian. Uh, David, your thoughts about the whole process? Well, I think mean, my first thought is I'm very pleased that lots and lots of people went to the, the various events and, and had a really nice time. Um, now, of course, the council's got to pick up the pieces. Um, and it's great to say that, you know, 100,000 people or whatever attended, but the fact is that only 8,000 actually paid for tickets. That means nearly 12,000 according to their, their... I mean, their budget um, started off that in order to cover its costs, not make a profit, to cover its costs, mm. they needed to sell 10,000 tickets for each of the two paid-for concerts, The Wanted and um, Olly Murs. And, and you know, they fell short of that by 12,000 tickets. David, uh, should the council be staging pop concerts if it's going to lose money? Isn't there an argument that it, it kind of, you know, helped Luton, it's publicised Luton, it's, it brought people in, it, it helped the local businesses? Oh, in many ways it was a great success, and I agree with that. Um, the, the, I think the, the difference is that, to be honest, if the council's going to do something like this, that there are two things, for example, we would have done differently. We would not have allowed the council to organise it. The council is very good at lots of things, but organising pop concerts is not one of them. Right. We'd have brought in a professional promoter to organise it. And the second thing I think um, they should have done, the two main paid-for events really should have been aimed at different audiences. Well, the, what do you mean, that the, the, the both were kind of similar pop acts and it would have brought the same people in? Well, exactly. The, what the, uh, they were, I mean, to, to put it uh, crudely, they were, they were aimed at teenage girls, really, weren't they? Um, and nothing wrong with that, except that's probably expecting a bit too much for uh, local teenagers to be able to afford to go to both of them. Paul, you want to say something? Yeah, David. I mean, actually, David, it, it, you say 8,000 tickets were sold. It was actually only just around 5,000 tickets that were sold because the other ones were given away. I mean, do you think that the uh, this is something that might be repeated again in the future? Well, they're talking about a repeat. Um, if they do, then I hope next time they get it right. 
It, I mean, it's good that the town does things like this, but you've got to do it right. You've got to make sure that the council taxpayers are not left with a huge bill for unsold tickets. Well, is that we don't know where the money's going to come from yet, the, 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 the shortfall. Is it going to be the residents that are going to pay? I guess it will be, won't it? Well, who else is going to pay? Yeah. David, would you consider yourself a party pooper? Not really, no, because, I, I mean, it's a good idea, and I'm, in, in many ways I'm glad they did it. I just think they should have got it right. And we're going to be talking to the leader of the council uh, in about an hour's time. Is there anything that, you would, uh, that you'd say to her? Yeah, I mean, I, the question I asked her last night at the council meeting, does she really think it was a mistake not to get a professional promoter to organise it? And does she think it was a mistake to target the two key events at the same audience? I think that those are the big mistakes. If you get a professional promoter in, though, that's going to be a huge outlay at the start, isn't it? Well, well then it depends on the deal you do, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, the, obviously the promoter will want to make money out of it, but uh, in the process, uh, so would the council. Paul? Uh, one of the things, David, they talked about last night at the meeting, and you'll remember this, was they, they were saying they put lots of risk measures in place and they had um, they had sort of uh, risk-managed it, if you like, in advance. And just looking at that uh, project risk management sheet here, one of the uh, one of the elements that they, they concentrate on is ticket sales, and it says target ticket sales to be built into the contract, ensuring the lessons learned from previous concerts held in Luton are put into practice by all parties. Has that happened? Well, I, d I don't know the answer to that. You'll have to ask them. Well, I mean, another interesting question is, all, all these hotels did some excellent business, and that, of course, is great. But how much of that was because of these two paid-for concerts, and how much for um, the Carnival and the Mellor? Um, far, far, far more people attended mm. the Mellor and the Carnival than did these two concerts. David, thank you very much. David Franks is the leader of the opposition uh, Lib Dem group on Luton Borough Council. Paul will be speaking to you later on. By the way, I don't know if you've seen, and I shouldn't really be flagging this up, but I'm mm. going to, the clip on YouTube of Ollie Murs falling down some stairs? Oh, I have, yeah. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Thank you very much. Paul will be uh, joining us later on. 08459 555 is the telephone number. We've been asking you this morning. By the way, if you did go to the Love Luton Festival, do give me a call. Really keen to know what you thought of it. Maybe you thought it was fantastic. Maybe you thought, yeah, the council spent some money, they lost some money. It, it doesn't matter. People had a great time. Put Luton on the map. And Luton has been in the press a lot. The, the, with Lewis, all the pictures of Lewis Hamilton carrying the torch. It was on the news, on the te it was on the telly. If it goes on the telly, then it's proper. Or maybe you think the council have let you down by losing your money, spending your money, uh, and you want answers. 08459. Four double five five double five is the telephone number. We're asking as well this morning. Bands that are overrated. I had a huge row with a mate yesterday when he he dared to put some U two on in his car. I said, "Turn this off. It's awful. Just it's just awful. I don't get how are U two one of the biggest bands in the world with their tedious, baggy, flabby dad rock. How is that even possible?" So I'm asking for your overrated artists. You can text in with these. 81333. Start your text. 3CR. David Marsh. Uh, David from Marsh Farm, sorry. Says, overrated artist Adele. Some songs sort of okay, but her speaking voice, oh dear. <laughs> well, now, listen. You, I don't know if you can judge an artist. Um, she's a little bit boring, but I kind of like that. I like Adele. Because sometimes it's nice to have music that's just there, you know, that's sort of wallpaper. I don't think you can judge an artist because she speaks common. She does speak very, very common. I was very surprised the first time she opened her mouth. Uh, I loathe the Beatles, says Hayden in Dunstable. Also, Adele is like pulling teeth. Robbie Willi Williams, Rihanna, Michael Bublé. Ah, help! 
Buble's an odd one. I shouldn't like Buble. I shouldn't like Buble. But there's something about him. There's something about him. He's so cheeky and catchy. I shouldn't like him because it's obnoxious. You know, it's that horrible, sort of slick American. But there's something about him. Um, Aidan says, the Beatles destroyed rock and roll. Paul McCartney can't sing. Bob Marley, I don't get what the fuss is about. And Oasis are just poor Beatles. You can't ever get better than Gene Vincent. (laughs) Really? And Judy, another one. I was never into the Beatles. I'm surprised. How can you not like the Beatles? Really? I have to admit, I did like John Lennon and George Harrison. Why do people still get so excited about Paul McCartney as a solo artist? He just can't sing. Well, listen, I do love McCartney. I've got a very soft spot for McCartney. But he can't sing now. He's too old now. You know, he is a 70-year-old man trying to sing, and it's, it's not brilliant. Artists, bands, groups, singers that are overrated... You can text those in to me, please. 81333, start your text, 3CR. And later on in the show, we're going to be talking about exercise and fitness. Do you do any? Apparently, we are one of the least healthy nations in the world. 7.15. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Wednesday the 18th of July. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Luton Borough Council has revealed the number of tickets it sold for the recent Love Luton concerts. The council sold a little over 5,500 tickets in total, though not all at full price. Prior to the event, they said they needed to sell a total of 20,000 for the wanted and Oli Murs to break even. Police are investigating the rape of a man in Milton Keynes. The attack took place in the early hours of Monday morning. The man, aged in his 20s, was assaulted by a group of between four and six men on a redway in Greenleys. In sport, Watford drew one all at Boreham Wood last night's, in last night's friendly, their first match under new manager Gianfranco Zola. There'll be a full sports bulletin with Simon in 15 minutes, and we'll also have a full weather bulletin in a few moments. And coming up... A survey has revealed that text messages have now become the most used method of communication between friends and family. Find out more after 7.30. Watford drew one all at Boreham Wood in last night's friendly, their first match under new manager Gianfranco Zola. But there was more interest off the pitch with various transfer rumours. Zola spoke afterwards with John Marks. Gianfranco, good to see the players in a match situation after a week's training. No, very good. Delighted also with the with their attitude, uh, the way they played, and um, and um, it was a good game, honestly. Uh, the opposition was uh, excellent, they played a good game. Uh, but, um, as I said, uh, the indications I got from the game, they're all very, very good. You're starting to see some of the work that you put in, some of the ideas that you're putting across in a match situation? Yeah, it's too early to, uh, to obviously to see everything, but uh, we try to in the first in the first week to give some con- concepts and uh, and uh, to be honest, the players they, they went uh, beyond expectation because uh, they did something that we were supposed to do uh, later on, and uh, so I'm delighted because uh, it means that they are you know they are applying themselves and they're giving everything. Delighted with that. As well as fitness, of course, everybody getting 45 minutes under the belt. What, what is it you say that they, they've exceeded your expectations? How is that? No, some, sometimes, uh, you know, when they came out to the ball from the back and uh, and with the personality, with uh, it was good because, uh, you know, it's uh, after one week uh, you can pretend that everything comes uh, easy. And, uh, and uh, so it's very encouraging for the manager when you see the players' progression so well. 
we saw a, a couple of, uh, of new lads tonight. How are things progressing with the likes of, of Pudil and, uh, and Abdi and, and Vidra? Well, uh, Abdi, we had only four two days, yesterday and today, and uh, you, know, you can see he's a good player. Uh, he will get better, and um, Pudil has done very well, I, I believe. When, when he come on, uh, he, he has shown uh, good qualities, so that is also encouraging. You continue to be linked with a whole host of names. Uh, how are your transfer plans progressing? Well, there are a lot of talking, but um, as I said, uh, right now uh, my focus is on, on the players that I got, and uh, and uh, I need to see them, assess them, and uh, learn from them, and uh, and then uh, and then we see. Obviously, the club is very ambitious. Uh, they want they want to. You know, uh, make a good team, and uh, there might be the possibility that some players will be coming. But uh, as I said, uh, I'm an open person, and uh, we see uh, we see what we got first, and uh, and then uh, we will try to improve our situation. But uh, if the attitude of the players is like this, certainly is very promising for Watford. You've lost one player today in, in Adi Mariapo. You, it's sad to see him go, but obviously he's gone to the Premier League and you know, a bigger and better move for him. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, uh, you know, uh, obviously I'm uh, sad to lose a player like him because I know he's a good player. But on the other hand, I'm pleased because uh, he's uh, going to play in Premier League. And uh, to be honest, I cannot step in on his way. Um, the boy has done very well for, for this club and... Uh, as a club, as a manager, we wish him that he does well uh, in this new ab- adventure. Um, very, very pleased for him. Gianfranco Zola speaking with our reporter, John Marks. Time now. Oh, look at this. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Sorry, Steve, I perhaps got a little bit more excited than I was meant ah, to. I, I, right. I got very excited there because it's Why? you, it's Steve Weston and it's the weather. And I like to hear what's going right. on in the weather. Yeah, and it's looking better for next week. Exactly. Bring it on. <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, there's one or two little bits and pieces of patchy sort of drizzly rain at the moment leading into next week, and which what looks like to be um, a, a decent week. Nice ridge of high pressure from Azores High at long last. Hopefully it'll stick. Steve, I'm holding to you. That's Steve Weston with the weather. Thank you very much. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The head of security company G4S has acknowledged that failing to provide all the staff promised for the London Olympics was a humiliating shambles. Nick Buckles told MPs he was deeply sorry when he gave evidence at the Commons Home Affairs Select Committee, which Hartsmere Conservative MP James Clapperson sits on. James joins me now. Good morning, James. Morning. What are your thoughts on uh, Nick's comments yesterday? Um, well, surprised, really, that it had got to, it's got to so late in the day and they're so far behind with their contract. Mm. It was so late in the day that they discovered that they had a serious problem with their contract. Because he was claiming, I, I watched it yesterday, and it was fascinating viewing. He was like a naughty little boy in the headmaster's office, just kind of agreeing with whatever was thrown at him. He, when did he say that he found out there was a problem? It wasn't that long ago, was he it? He said it was July the 3rd, when he was on holiday, and he, he, to be fair to him, he said he came straight back from holiday. But I think that's surprising when it's barely three weeks before the Olympic Games are due to begin. He, w- he discovered that there was a, serious, a, a problem of such significance that it might prevent them from carrying out the contract. And what we've since found out is that they're well short of carrying out the contract. They're supposed to provide 10,400 guards, and any view of what he told us yesterday, that they're going to be several thousands short of that. 
And also the, the, the sort of new development that's happening this week is that people aren't turning up. The people that, that they have employed, a lot of them just aren't bothering to turn up. This was where, I mean, we did try and ask questions about this as to how this came about, and he said it was a combination of scheduling and also people who'd, who they'd employ, you know, taken on simply not turning up for work. Although I think if you ask the people that they say they've taken on, they might have a different story to tell, given but this is going by some of the reports which I've seen in the media talking to such people who are not entirely to blame, because I think the company, well, they admitted themselves yesterday they hadn't done as much as they could have done to keep in touch with people. But Something's gone seriously mm. wrong. This this is a company which says it's the world's leading supplier of international security solutions. It's a very big company, but it's it's you know it's failed. And the surprising thing is that it was all so close to the Olympics. My the feeling I left with was that we do we do we will need the police and the armed forces and goodness knows who else to to help with this. Uh, but they're fantastic, and we can rely on them. I don't think people should let it spoil their enjoyment of the Olympic Games, but I'm certainly not going to let it spoil, not, you know, spoil my enjoyment of them. People are saying, oh, this, this will look bad for when, when tourists come, but I would have thought, if I was a tourist coming to London for the Olympics and I saw the, a copper or I saw a soldier on security, I, I would enjoy that because you're seeing part of Britain, well, and also you'd feel safer, wouldn't you? Well, actually, I was out with Hertfordshire Police last night that happened in the Safe the Streets initiative in Bushy, and people are really pleased to see the police going around, seeing if everything's all right, giving them advice on security and, and other public safety advice as well. People really like to see the police. I'm sure they like to see the armed forces as well. So I, I think I don't think it'll spoil our mm. enjoyment, but it's an interesting episode in itself as to how such a large company can get things so badly wrong and it all come to light at the last minute. I mean, we have seven years to prepare for the Olympics. They've had the present contract for well over six months, and it's all within the last month that they found out it was going to be, uh, well, far from perfect. Did Nick Buckles give enough information yesterday, or did you feel that he was holding back? He didn't know. He, he didn't have some of the information right. that you'd expect him to have to be able to give us, like how many people that they would actually provide ultimately, how many of the 10,400 would be provided. It wasn't clear. He kept saying it was a moving picture, which I don't think is really brilliant when you're, you know, barely 10 days away from the Olympics. But, I, you know, I, I, I suppose I felt sorry for the man in one way, but, uh, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a director, he's a chief executive of a very big company. Should he resign? I think that's the matter for him and other people. But what I would say is that they haven't, uh, they've, they've, they've no way come close to fulfilling what they're supposed to do on this contract. And they, they admitted they've let everybody down. Can we learn any lessons from this, James? And if so, what are those lessons? That's a very good question. I think we're having, I'm not going to avoid the question, but we're, we're taking more evidence from uh, Theresa May and other people, Charles Farr, who's the head of the security services, after the Olympics. Um, I think there will be lessons to be learnt, but I think we'll, we'll hear what they have to say. Uh, I think there are lessons to be learnt as far as, as G4S are concerned. I mean, it's, it's, it's very surprising that a company which is so big as this performed so badly. It's a fascinating story, James. It's going to go on and on. Um, thank you very much. There's James Clapperson, who's uh, the Hartsmere uh, Conservative MP, who's sitting on the uh, Commons Home Affairs Select Committee. And this is one of those stories, isn't it, that's just going to go on and on. And it's, the, the, the amount of money involved is just so huge. You know, like you hear different figures. It's 270 million or it's 298 million or it's 300 million. It doesn't matter. It's a lot of money. And for that much money, G4S couldn't get it right. But is it all their fault? It, you would think so, wouldn't you? It, it would appear it's been incompetence. 08459 455 555. Very keen to hear your view on that and uh did you feel sorry for him yesterday i did feel a bit sorry for him 
I did feel sorry for multi-millionaire Nick Buckles yesterday, um, because he was, you know, he was, he looked like he'd, uh, he looked like he was in trouble, and he is in trouble. Uh, 08459 Coming up later in the show, uh, we'll be asking, do you take enough exercise? Britons have uh, come out. We are one of the worst nations in the world when it comes to exercise. And there's a thing in the mail, not, not terrifying their readers in the slightest, are they? Oh, no, they never do that. Lack of exercise is as bad for you as smoking. Really? We'll be talking to someone later on about that. 08459 455 555. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Simon. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 7.35. We'll talk about texting and phone calls in a minute, but we were uh, talking about the Love Luton Festival. Was it success? It seems to have cost a lot of money. We've got Brenda in Luton. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning, Ian. Hello. Uh, you were at the Love Luton Festival. We were. What, we were, you, were, what were you doing well, we, there? We're a small local Luton animal charity called Feline Cat Rescue, mm-hmm. and we were hoping to raise funds. We just well, obviously the weather was dreadful to begin with, which was nobody's fault. No, but um, I just thought the general arrangements could have been a little bit better because we've been doing it for many years now. Yeah, and I just think the whole thing was um, it was it was too big. I think by trying to combine the three events, like the music festival, the Mella, and the procession, it sort of it sort of cast a damper on the three events. And, and I don't think that the, the, the stalls were placed in the best positions because we were right on the periphery of the park and we couldn't see the procession from where we were. Do you think and it was... Uh, Brenda, sorry to interrupt. Do you think it was uh, uh, badly organised? Well, I suppose it's difficult to say because I'm on one side of the fence and the organisers are on the other. Yeah. And you, and you can't do anything about the weather. But when we got there, the, the marshals didn't seem to know where our pitch was. And we got stuck in the mud and had to be towed out. And at the end, you know, we're there for a whole day and we were supposed to be able to come out of the park between 7 and 8 o'clock. But the marshals, when I tried to come back into the park with my car, said, oh, we don't know when you'll be able to go in. It might be two hours. And, you know, when you've been standing around for two days trying to make a few bits of money... It's, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about. Of course you do. Were there many people there in, in terms of the audience? Well, I think there were quite a few people there, but, you know, they weren't loose. Because the weather has been so atrocious, when the sun's shining, people have got a whole different attitude. You know, they're loose, they feel like... They're loose. ...having a good time, but they were sort of scurrying along with their hands in their pocket, and we didn't... And the pitch, the pitch price was quite exorbitant, I thought. Right. We didn't, we didn't get a discount for being a charity. How much did you pay, if you don't mind me asking? We, the stall itself was £50 for the two days, but we okay. could only be there for one day because, you know, we haven't got many helpers. Yeah. Did, then, you, did you make any money, Brenda? Well, <laughs> we did. I'm almost ashamed to tell you how much. I think we made about £33 overall, Blimey. discounting the pitch price. But, yeah. You know, we, we, you meet nice people and... It's yes. a day out, but obviously the weather had quite a downing effect on the whole experience. Well, I'm sorry to hear like. that, Brenda. Can I ask you a personal question? It, sa- it says on my screen that you're in bed with your cats. Is this correct? This is quite correct. How- I'm in bed with how many cats am I in bed with? Well, about seven at the moment. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I only have one cat, and uh, she gets in bed with me, and, and that's a nuisance. Seven must be a right pain. So they do that well, clawing I- thing. 
No, well, some do, but they've all gone back to sleep again. Okay. So what I do is I get up early, make tea, feed them, and then we all go back to bed again for about half an hour. You have a little lion with the cats. I have Excellent. to sort of stand to attention when I'm in bed with them. I don't know what that means, Brenda. I don't wish to pursue that any further. Brenda, thank you very much. I'm sorry you didn't make much money, but you made a few quid, uh, and that's got to be good. 08459 455 555. Once it was good to talk. Now it's good to text. Text messages have become the most used method of communication between friends and family, according to an annual survey by the regulator Ofcom. It's also found mobiles are being used less to make calls as more and more people use their handsets to access what we at the BBC called social media. The internet, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Gareth Beavis is the mobile editor of the website Tech Radar. Good morning, Gareth. Good morning. Uh, what do you think? Is this, is this the death of the phone call? I don't think it's the death of it. I think we're always going to have the phone call because we, you know, we need to impart knowledge and that kind of thing over over voice. But I think, you know, especially with the youth generation, there's so much more opportunity to connect in so many different ways, leave a message, you know, and give a record of what you've actually said so you can actually reply back to it later on and that kind of thing. I think as Britons, I think the fact it's so much more passive is a wonderful thing for us. Well, I was saying to you off air, I hate phone calls, which is odd that I end up doing a job where people phone in. I enjoy it in this context, but I can't phone people up. Or if the phone... If my phone rings and it's a, a withheld number, that will never, ever get answered because yeah. it, it's too random. Uh, I, I, so I always prefer to send texts, but which you think is quite normal. Yeah, absolutely. I think people want to send texts because, like I said, they, they've got a record of what they've said. If you've yeah. agreed to meet somebody somewhere, you know, you've, you've got the address written down, they haven't had to write down a piece of paper and that kind of thing. But, you know, I think it's just that trends speak for themselves. You know, the youth generation like to communicate in a variety of different ways and while you know the phone call is lovely and nostalgic and and people love to to talk on that respect but i think that digital is much better you've made me feel so old the phone call is nostalgic wow i do feel old that's only the last year that's become true so don't worry too much okay (laughs) (laughs) Uh, is it a shame that we don't talk as much it's not me and you personally we've only just met and i'm hoping we might build a friendship out of this who knows but in general that people don't talk I think it is, obviously, and I think that, you know, we will find trends in human evolution probably changed by the fact that we become isolated in a cubicle one day in an island somewhere, I don't know. But, you know, I think that, you know, people should always talk, and it is really important to have that, that constant communication, but there's, there's nothing wrong. I mean, people, you know, kind of villainise the, the, the Facebooks and Twitters of this world because of the fact they're so impersonal in some way. But in a way, it gives people that maybe would have had a trouble you know, creating their own personality mm. in a phone call and maybe panic and, and feel the anxiety of having to be so instant can actually have a chance to craft things and, and feel a bit more comfortable in expressing themselves in different ways. It's an evolution, isn't it, of, of communication? Of course, and, yeah. and I'm sure when the phone first started appearing, people are like, what is this? What, people aren't going to go and knock on each other's doors and talk to each other? We have yeah. to use this thing. So I guess it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? It's absolutely. I think, you know, every generation has had different opportunities of speaking to one another, you know. I mean, the letter fell by the wayside for email and I think, you know, some people's parents would have would never had that opportunity mm. and then nowadays the people are seeing their children having the same completely different disconnected way of talking things people say oh, when you get there give me a call and they say well can i just text you it's the same thing and like yep. well i suppose so but i prefer if you call me just so i know i'm not being if i was out this is how old i am if i was out and uh, i wanted my mum to pick me up uh, <laughs> to save the 10 pence she'd say just ring three times and i know it's you that was the code ring three times i won't answer and it will save you 10p uh, landline use was down this is incredible down 10 percent mm-hmm. in 2011 on the year before I, it took me, I, I've got a landline, mm. but I don't know what the number is, and I never... It's not plugged in. No. I just get it as part of the package with my broadband, but I've got, I, I never use it. No. Do, do you have a landline? I, same, exactly the same thing. I've got, got it for, uh, you know, TV and for internet, but not for... Yeah. Actually, I've got a phone upstairs plugged in that I don't ever plug in because I just can't be bothered. You know, the fact is people in the olden days... I use that in air quotes. <laughs> uh, He's making me feel so old. I've finished. Go on. Uh, <laughs> 
you know, th- there was the notion that you'd phone a building rather than a person. I think with the mobile phone, that's changed absolutely. You, yeah. know, you know, people are, are always on. And I think people do find that intrusive in a way, the fact that they're contactable at all times. That's you know? the thing. And I that's why like. a text or, or an email can be picked up and dealt with when you want to. And I think that's partly the reason that phone calls are, are starting to die off slightly. I do like it when I go to a foreign country, although it doesn't really happen that much anymore. <laughs> uh, and the phone doesn't work. And there's part of me goes, yes, yeah, I've I, got a week of not being contactable at all. I had that for a little bit. And then, you know, a year ago, it, the roaming came in so ubiquitously now that I can, I can be contacted wherever, whenever. <laughs> the problem with my mobile phone, and when I say this, you'll know what it is i won't say which one it is i've got to charge it like twice a day it, it just takes you know it can be on charge or not if i go on twitter or facebook a couple of times and the battery's completely gone yeah it's a pain i know you can't do anything about it then well i can get you a new battery but that's about it really. oh, that's useless uh, gareth thank you very much gareth beavis is the mobile editor of the uh, website tech radar uh, oh wait well i'm asking you to call in on a, a, a subject about texting do you text? Do you make still make phone calls? I'm guessing a lot of the BBC Three Counties listeners um, are, are kind of old-fashioned in their ways. I'm being polite as I say this. Are slightly more old-fashioned and have not yet converted to the text. That you still prefer the old phone call. Could you give me a phone call now and let's celebrate the magic of the old phone call? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Thank you very much, Gareth. Very nice to meet you. Uh, or, or are you a texter? Have you given up on the phone? Do you have a landline? It seems odd to say that... Uh, I had genuinely had to think this morning, do I have a landline? I do. No idea what the phone number is. I think I used it about three times when we moved into the house, and that's it. Wouldn't have a clue. 08459 455 555. You saddened that the phone call could be on the way out. When was the last time you used a phone box? A phone box! It's something like 40 pence to make a phone call now. In a phone. It might even be more. I remember being a kid, we used to use the phone box all the time. We'd phone up dial a disc. Yeah, I'm, I'm that old. I'm that old. What was the number for dial a disc? Was it 123? No, that was the speaking clock. Anyone know what the number for dial a disc was? What this was, kids, right? You should go into a phone box, you put in five pence... You'd phone up dial a disc and it would play a record to you. Down the phone. Yeah. What was it? If someone could tell me the, the, the phone number for dial a disc. <laughs> 08459 455 555. I'm saying it out loud. I'm realising it's actually making me sound like my granddad. Dial a disc. Unbelievable. Beds, hearts, and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Luton Borough Council has revealed the number of tickets it sold for the recent Love Luton concerts. The council sold a little over 5,500 tickets in total, though not all at full price. Prior to the event, they said they needed to sell a total of 20,000 for the wanted and Ollie Murs to break even. Police are investigating the rape of a man in Milton Keynes. The attack took place in the early hours of Monday morning. The man, aged in his 20s, was assaulted by a group of between four and six men on a redway in Greenleys. In sport, Watford drew one all at Borehamwood in last night's Friendly, their first match under new manager Gianfranco Zola. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks, a few brighter spells, but mostly cloudy with showery rain and even thundery showers possible. Maximum temperature is around 20 degrees Celsius. Coming up, new research is claiming that a lack of exercise is now causing as many deaths as smoking across the world. Find out more before 8 o'clock. Sun clubs in uh, Beds, Hearts and Bucks are already proactive when it comes to swearing at football games. 
It's an issue the Culture Secretary believes needs sorting out following the recent racism case involving Chelsea player John Terry. Clubs like Tring and Hitchin Bells already have a zero-tolerance policy. But what do you think? You can give me a call on this, 08459 455 555. Reporter Serena Farrow spoke to these people in Letchworth. unnecessary. You'd walk away from but that's maybe part of the reason why I very much like having moved into this neck of the woods to go and see Milton Keynes MK Dons play in that lovely new stadium with my beautiful wife. But I, I wouldn't expose her to, to that sort of language. Really? Is that one of the main reasons you don't go? Yeah, yeah I'd love to. Our, our son's a big football fan. When he comes to visit us with his new wife, I'd love to take them to that. But I wouldn't ex- expose ladies to that sort of environment. I'm too much of a gentleman. <laughs> No, no, unfortunately I don't go uh, support football. My partner does, and he'd probably like to take him, but for a similar reason. I probably wouldn't want him going for the swearing. Because it is a bad influence, and I know, you know, we let the odd word slip, but to have it coming from other people as well, you know, it's, it just wouldn't be right. No. So, I'd, no, I don't think I'd like my children going. Well, joining us uh, now is MK Don's manager, Carl Robinson. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Firstly, how are the MK Don's doing? Yeah, we're okay. We're, uh, as we speak, we're on the beach training um, for, for the first session of the morning. You do, so you're, you're, uh, you're, do, you're where? We're on the beach in Port Marnock in Ireland with the boys are running on the beach. So oh. it, um, this is the first session wow. of the day. What's the weather like? Um, uh, mix. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. It's how it should be. <laughs> It was warm yesterday. It was lovely yesterday over here. It was, uh, I think it's going to be quite nice today, but it's, at the moment, at half seven, it's not the best place to be. Good. Make make them work, Carl. Make them <laughs> suffer. Uh, um, and how is? Have you played any matches on the tour? You're in Ireland on a no. tour, aren't you? Yeah, we're here for we're here for seven days. That training, that training week. Then the boys fly home at the weekend, and then we come back and we. Um, right. We start playing some games here next week. We've got three games in four days. Then we come back and play Kettering on the Saturday. So it's almost four games in six days. So it's a a very intense week. That's a busy week. Uh, We're we're talking about swearing at football. Is it possible to ban rude words at matches? Um, I think we can make more of an effort. I think we should make more of an effort. But I I almost think it would be very, very difficult to, to stop it because it's... It's, it's born through um, emotion, mm. <clears throat> and I can't condone it, and I never will condone it. And I, I've got to be honest with you, Ian. I, I have swore during the game, and I've, I remember looking around and seeing a young boy there. And yeah. My first instinct after that, what I did was to go and apologise okay. to the parents. Fair play, um, because it's difficult. It is. It's difficult. But we've always also got to respect that we're role models for young for young lads and and girls who want to come to the game. Um, but. How can you stop it? It's, it's weird because I, I heard that um, a lady said before on, on, in the introduction to this saying we let we let the odd words slip, slip out. So if, if parents let the odd words slip out, like she said in their yeah. interview, footballers obviously going to let the odd words slip out as well. Um, if there was a ban imposed, it, it, it would affect the players, wouldn't it? They wouldn't be able to. Would they be able to play properly because they'd be concentrating on watching what they're saying? I think if you want to start banning people for swearing, we'll end up with six v six. Because um, it's, it's just something that, that's been, and, and, and the funny thing is, is you go to football stadiums and we'll be sat there as managers watching the opposition to play, and and you'll hear songs chanted with swear words in. Yeah, is there not? Because there are two are two different things here. There, there, there are the players, and I think things like was it, was it Wayne Rooney at the World Cup who ran up to the camera and did something? I can't remember what he did. He, he mouthed a swear word or something. 
that is obviously unnecessary and could be stopped, couldn't it? But I suppose in the heat of the moment, if someone gets tack- gets a bad tackle or something, then something's going to slip out, isn't it? It's it's very difficult, and I think this, this conversation that we. Oh, Carl, 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 Carl. We've lost we've lost Carl. That beep indicates that Carl has disappeared. Well, what's what's your opinion on it? He'll be swearing now on the beach in Ireland. Oh eight four five nine four double five five zero five. That was um, uh, Carl uh, Carl Robinson, the MK Don's manager there. And it is interesting, isn't it? There are, I was going to say there are two kind of sides to this. There is, is the football players themselves and whether they can be stopped. There's also the fans. Now I've never been to a football match, never been, so I don't know what it's like. If you've been, could you give me a call and tell me? Because at, at one point, I'm not a big football fan at all, but at some point. I'm hoping my boy says, Dad, can you take me to a football match? And I'd love to take him to his first one. Never been. Never been. Uh, and I, I'm kind of curious, but not c- really curious enough to go at the moment. But if my little boy, when he's older, says, Dad, I want to go to a football match, I, I, of course I would love to take him. It would be a pleasure. But is it sweary in the crowd? Are the crowd, you know, potty mouth? We heard there about some of the filthy songs that they sing. 08459 455. Five double five. Would it be appropriate to take a kid to a football match? Is there any? Are there any football teams where they have like family-friendly sections? You know, you get quiet carriages on trains. Are there teams that have family-friendly sections where you can go and it's not rude and there's no swearing and everything is absolutely fine and you can hang out? Is that does that happen? Or am I just being really naive and a bit of a dunce? Oh eight four five nine. Four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give me a call on this. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, I, I, I feel I've missed out something on not going to a football match. There's no reason I would have gone, because I don't particularly like football. I don't particularly enjoy it. Although, here's, here's the, the thing. I don't like watching football. I don't particularly like playing football. But I do like playing football on, on the computer. I do like playing FIFA on the Xbox. That I find quite exciting. It's weird, isn't it? There's no correlation. 08459-455-555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call on that. Uh, and let me know, w- w- what is your opinion? Have you been to a football match? Is it particularly sweary? Is it particularly nasty? Be keen to know. Now, speaking of, of exercise, a lack of exercise is now causing as many deaths as smoking across the world, according to new research. The report's published today in the medical journal The Lancet to coincide with the build-up to the Olympics. It estimates that about a third of adults aren't doing enough physical activity, causing 5.3 million deaths a year. Researchers say the problem is... Really? Wow. Researchers say the problem is now so bad it should be treated as a pandemic. Our reporter, Lisa Costello, has been looking at this. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. I find this um, terrifying. Tell us a bit more about the report's findings. Well, the official recommendation, of course, is that adults should do about two and a half hours of moderate exercise a week, and that's things like walking, cycling, gardening, but, you know, fairly low-level stuff, but most of us, it seems, just aren't doing that, and the researchers say that that's causing 5.3 million deaths a year. Uh, The reason they've come up with that figure is basically they're equating that with about one in ten deaths being from diseases such as heart disease, diabetes, and breast or colon cancer, all of which can have uh, a lack of exercise as a contributory factor so the findings are pretty stark and it seems the better off we are the worse we do in terms of exercise because this study found that people in higher income countries
countries uh, are the least active and, and very bad news for us here in the UK. We're amongst the worst offenders. Nearly two-thirds of us adults uh, judge not to be doing enough exercise and if you're wondering how we compare with our, our neighbours in Europe, only a third of French people were deemed not to be doing enough exercise and a fifth of those in the Netherlands. So all quite interesting stuff. And it, it, it gets more interesting if you look to the States mm. because there, while, while 60-odd percent of us here aren't doing enough exercise, only 40% of people there aren't doing enough exercise and that's despite Hang more on. than 30% of them being obese. Well, they're yeah, huge I mean, in the States. We, yeah, we often think, oh, hang on a minute, you know, we're, we're, we're doing badly here, but, you know, we know we're not as bad as, as the people in the States. But actually, you know, when it comes to levels of inactivity, mm. we are not doing what we should be doing. It's a problem that we're hearing uh, more and more about. Does the report offer any recommendations for solving this? Well, what it's suggesting is actually not so much solutions, practical solutions, as a whole new way of thinking about this. It's saying that the public actually need to be warned about the dangers of inactivity rather than just being constantly prodded and nudged uh, about uh, the positive benefits of activity. Uh, it wants a push to say that uh, inactivity is as dangerous as smoking, and, and that's why you're getting this uh, and looking towards... It seems that the campaigners are really looking towards the relative success of the very negative anti-smoking campaign that, that we've seen in recent years and things like the stark warnings on cigarette packets about lung cancer and saying well hang on a minute people are sitting up and taking notice of that uh, rather than just ignoring all the positive messages so that might be a road to go down um, but they're also saying that government needs to do more and be more active uh, and proactive on this they're saying that the government actually needs to look at things and make activity more convenient affordable and safe uh, and within this research which has been collated uh, from from surveys um, coordinated by the World Health Organization. They've looked all around the world and points, uh, and the research points to innovative schemes that they're highlighting a, as role models, really, for the rest of the world. So in Brazil, for instance, there's a city that one day a week uh, actually pedestrianizes the whole city, forcing what? people effectively to get on God. Shanks's pony and get around the city and get their exercise that, that way. And saying, but it's that kind of awful. innovative thing that people really need to be thinking about. That sounds hellish. <laughs> uh, by the looks of it, health campaigners... <laughs> no, not in the slightest. Health campaigners are really hoping to piggyback off the olympics to get us all off the set in on the move aren't they that's right, yes. I mean, obviously, this research has come out. It's part of a series uh, of uh, research pieces being published in, in The Lancet, uh, at the medical journal The Lancet, ahead of the Olympics Games. Uh, and basically, they're hoping that as people, you know, every the wise of the world are on the Olympics at the moment, and while, you know, they're not suggesting that anyone should uh, aspire to, to Usain Bolt sort of levels, but, you know, they're saying everyone is capable of actually reaching the recommended targets within a week. You know, we're just talking about walking, cycling or gardening. We're, we're not talking about, uh, you know, running marathons and, and record uh, sprint times. Mm. So they're saying people really can do that and that's what they should do, you know, basically because the, the consequences, uh, if they don't, are going to be very severe both for themselves in terms of health uh, and very severe for, for countries, basically, as they try to d struggle to deal, you know, on a financial level and all the rest of it with this ongoing problem. Lisa, thank you very much. Lisa Costello, our reporter, they're talking about how exercise, lack of exercise, is causing as many deaths as smoking. Uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith at nine o'clock will be talking more about this, asking, are you irresponsible if you don't exercise? I've got a text here from Vic. Exercise? That's all we seem to hear about. I'm nearly 71 and lead a very active life. I'm in bed with my cats and my wife. A little bit too much information, Vic. Thank you for that. Time for the news and sport now. Simon Oxley. 
you, Simon. This is Ian Lee. It's four minutes past eight. Good morning. This is BBC Three Counties Radio on your breakfast show. Here until nine o'clock, and then we'll have Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who'll be popping in in about 15 minutes, I would have thought. It's always nice when he pops in, because he smells very nice. He's very fragrant, Jonathan. Coming up in this hour, we'll be talking uh, about all oh, blue badges, yes, and uh, or, lots of bits and pieces. 08459 455 555. I've got a load of text as well about overrated bands. You can keep texting those in. 81333. Start your text 3CR. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Luton Borough Council has revealed the number of uh, tickets sold for recent Love Luton concerts. Artists' contracts meant the numbers were kept secret until a council meeting last night. It's estimated that more than 75,000 people attended the festival, including the free Olympic Torch concert just over a week ago. But it came at a cost. Unsold tickets for Ollie Murs and The Wanted means the council overspent its budget by how much? We don't know yet exactly. Our political reporter Paul Scoyans can tell us more. Good morning, Paul. Morning. What happened? Well, last night, the, uh, as you say, the council revealed uh, for the first time the ticket sales, and this was always a key part of this concert, especially in terms of covering its cost, bearing in mind that this concert was staged to help offset the cost of the low-cog concerts, which were free uh, and were offered to the council for free, bear in mind, though, that they had to pay for things like the security and the road closure, all those sort of things, but the staging and the actual artists and so on was free, so they had to find some money to pay for that. So what they thought they'd do is they staged these other two concerts and turned into a big weekend with the carnival or the mella and um uh, and and according to the you know the, the proposal they were hoping to get something like five hundred and sixty two thousand pounds from ticket sales for the concert so it's the, by far the, the biggest um uh, sort of revenue income stream now back of envelope calculations that i've done and they haven't released the full figures so mm-hmm. we won't know that yet but i think that they've raised somewhere in the region of 130,000 pounds from those ticket sales we know that 2455 tickets were sold at full price that was just over 30 pounds they dropped the price then when they realized that the um the tickets weren't going so well uh, to 25 pounds but they only sold 74 at that so okay. they dropped it further to 15 pounds and then ticket sales did pick up but that was only 2 weeks before the concert so they didn't have much time to pick up and they they sold 3000 158 in that time um so total ticket sales of around five and a half thousand if you add in the uh the the sort of uh, the deal that they gave people who paid full tickets uh you know the same they doubled their tickets okay so they gave them if you you bought a ticket full price you got a free one you got a free one back yeah didn't get your money back so around eight thousand tickets altogether were distributed if you know do you think this is going to happen again next year is this going to be an ongoing event i think they'd like to i mean you know on the positive side of things they do say that hotel bookings were up the uh the publicity generated from the um the torch relay was very positive uh the pictures of lewis hamilton carrying they were everywhere they're on the papers on the tv everywhere now they only knew about that a couple of days beforehand right. so they couldn't have budgeted for that um so it was a bit of a lucky draw really for that one but um the um 
the, the, the kind of uh, income from businesses or from people who were who were uh, attending the concerts, attending the uh, the torch relay was was high. Uh, they say you know those pictures generated around two hundred and fifty thousand pounds worth of publicity if they were okay. to have spent it. So you know they said there were some positives. Will it happen again? I think it might happen differently, um, but it might happen again. I mean, people did seem to enjoy it, but okay. whether or not that enjoyment is offset by the amount of money that the council have had to spend. Okay, well, we're we're joined on the line now by the leader of Luton Borough Council, Hazel Simmons. Good morning, Hazel. Good morning. How much money has been spent on this festival by by the council? Well, as we explained to council last night, we can't give you an exact, exact figure. We, we've tried to be as open as we were, which is why we gave you the, the ticket sales as we are at the moment. There's still some being verified um, because it's only been a week after the festival and obviously we've still got invoices coming in, uh, still work to be done to get into final accounts. But we will produce a public final set of accounts once, the, once we've got them all. And how, long sure do, how long do you think that will take? Well, we're hoping September. Wow. So we're hoping. D- don't quote me on that because September I seems you like you'll say you said September, but I'm hoping for September. September but seems quite a way away. You must have a rough idea. I don't. I don't. Genuinely don't. Um, uh, we were determined to give council a verbal report last night on the ticket sales because we'd promised that, and that's what we did. Um, and as, as you, your port- reporter announced, there, there were 8,142 t- um, tickets actually uh, used at the, co- the conference. Um, uh, um, so we were quite pleased. Uh, we're very pleased with the festival. There, there, were, there were that many used. But people enjoyed that festival. You were... mustn't forget that. No, of course. 5,000 people enjoyed that festival. 12,000 attended the Torch Relay. A lot of young people uh, were able to see stars they would never have been able to Oh, no, exactly. To Hazel, yeah. you mentioned the number of tickets that were used was 8,000-odd, but only 5,500 were actually sold. Yes, I accept that. Yeah, I accept that. Did you get the price wrong? Well, no. Uh, we... We're told when we did our marketing initially, way back last year, um, when we did proper market research, as you would have expected, although we're, we're kind of assumed that we, we were stupid and didn't do that. Of course we did that. We did market research, got told that that was the p- price people would pay, so that's what we set the tickets at. But gradually, over the, the, the weeks leading up to the festival, we got told by the local public here that it was too dear to take a family, and they wanted to bring a family. They wanted it to be a family event, so that's why we reduced the cost. How many people did you question in the market research? I'd have to produce that uh, report for you, but a lot. It was done properly was by it, a market research company. Was it 500? I think it was, actually. It was maybe more than that. Okay. Because I could have told you 30 quid to see Ollie Murs. That's not going to sell out. Well, that's not what we were told, and we based our ticket sales on that. Okay. That, that, you know, that's what we were told. Trevor Holden uh, told us that lessons will be learnt. What lessons have you learnt from Love Luton? Well, we're still doing the debrief on, on the Love Luton things, but, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? If we all had hindsight, it would be great, and we would change things. Of course we would. But, you know, um, the, the thing for me that about it, it was, the message that's gone out about Luton is positive. Yeah. There's, you know, we know the, the messages that go out about Luton are not always positive, and there were... A, about five million people just buy newspapers that will have known about Luton in a positive way. The event was very successful. We only had one arrest connected to the festival at all over the whole weekend. Everybody had a, a great time. And if you were there and walking around the site, you could feel the buzz uh, on the site of uh, people enjoying... And Hazel, that's festival. fantastic. And, and we've heard that the, uh, local restaurants and hotels have done really well they over the whole weekend. Really and well that's fantastic. Too, yeah. But there has been a huge loss 
of, you, I mean, it was being said it was £300,000 last week. It's looking like it's probably going to be a lot more than that. Who, well, who's accountable for that? Well, actually, we're not sure about that. And I, I wouldn't want um, you to get an impression that there's been a huge loss. We don't know yet. Well, you said th- we, it was announced no, by the council £300,000 last week. Yes, well, that was the insurance we put against it, 300000 Right, so what does that mean? Well, that's, uh, we self-insure ourselves against um, a, a, a loss. It's, it's, council does it all the time with lots and lots okay. of things. This isn't so you'll get that £300,000 back from the insurance company? Um, well, we self-insured. Uh, Sorry, I'm, I'm being an idiot. I don't, I don't know what that means. Well, that so means we self-insured using our reserves. So if, if you self-insured mm. and there was a loss of, let's say, £300,000... No, we, we, we don't know that there's a loss. Well, let's, I wouldn't want you saying that. It's okay, well, let's, right. let's, let's assume that. Let's assume, just so we can work this out. If there, let's assume there was a loss of £300,000 and you were self-insured. How much of that would you have to pay, then? Well, we, we don't know yet. I'm, I'm really sorry. Um, I can't tell you that. As soon as we've got the full report... And that's going to be September. I will willingly tell you that. That's going to be September. Well, I can't, I can't help that. I mean, that, that, these things take... You know yourself, if you've gone at a big event, you get... The invoices take time coming in. It, it really does take time to get all it the does. figures. It does. And it does. But I'm, I'm going to pressure on this just because I have done, not events anywhere near as big as this, but you know how much people are... You know how much money you owe people, don't you? You don't just wait no, for the invoices. Don't, because you don't like just I say, sorry. If invoices I, you, are coming in, but you don't just wait for the invoices to come in. You know how much you've spent. We're surely we're still doing the calculations, and it is wrong of me to make comments. Okay. I don't really know. Okay. It is not fair on the public to give no. a, a, um, a guesstimates. That's not the way okay. you do things. You'd say it properly. But it's and, when um, they're when it's their money. They'd like. I think the, the, uh, the public are, are entitled to a rough idea, aren't they? Ab- absolutely. And I. But you're not you prepared know, to give we, that. We agreed a budget that went through the the executive which we thought was around 1.9 million as the to cost the, the the whole event and um obviously that was funded we've got mela money that we would normally have paid for the mela money that we'd normally have paid for carnival uh concessionaires uh all sorts of funding that's got to come in and be worked out and it's that's what's being the numbers are being crunched at the moment 130,000 pounds for the ticket sales against 562,000 uh, that you were expecting well, we've had, we have also reduced the, we, reduced the size of the event okay. um, because we knew the ticket sales would be down on our estimates. We've reduced the size of the event um, to, to cater for some of that. So also that will have reduced the, the, the money that was owing as well. So, you, you know, until all that's worked out, it's very difficult. But you must remember, mm. we would have had to have paid a fair amount of money out for the infrastructure, uh, the staging, the road closures, etc., for the low-cog event in the first place. This was, was designed to point. cover the cost of the low-cog event, wasn't it? And that's not worked, has it? Well, we hope so. Well, we it hasn't. We will have. We, we, we're trying to find out, and, and it's really not right of me to comment. Um, we've given you as much information as we promised we would give the ticket sales as soon as the event was over. We've done that. It does. We'll come back to the public and tell them exactly how much it cost. Um, okay. But you can for- understand why, why some p- members of the public are perhaps angry that it sounds like, and it just sounds like that perhaps you're not, you're not, you're kind of dodging it slightly by saying, well, we'll come back in September. September's a very long way away. Well, as soon it's as in we July. Start- we're in July now, middle of July, and September. And you're saying it could be even later than September. Well, that, that doesn't that, sound uh, particularly fair. I, get, I was, I miss, uh, you misunderstood what I meant. We will provide the information before, poss- as soon as we've got it, we'll right. provide it. Okay. But the council meeting is not until September. I see. So we'll get it before the, we have your guarantee that we'll get that information before the council meeting in we'll September. Get it as soon as you, as soon as it's available, it will be before made Before September. 
Yeah. Uh, what final? Uh, we've got a text from David Luton. Uh, thank you for that, Hazel. Uh, we've got what final uh, text. When is Luton Council going to clear up Wardown Park? It's a disgrace. Well, as you know, the weather hasn't helped no. uh, since since the event. But um, I can assure you that our park people are up there looking at it, uh, and we're not, we're not worried about it coming okay. back. We have carnival every every year. And we always always have difficulties um, if it's been a wet time. So uh, this is this happens because they're public parks; they will come back to normal. Any idea how long that'll take? Uh, well, they reckon about a month. Okay, brilliant. Uh, Hazel, thank you very much for coming on. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. That's uh, the leader of Luton Borough Council, Hazel Simmons. Paul, thank you very much. Thank Anything you. else you need to add to that, or? Well, I mean, I think, you know, actually, Hayes is probably right. They will have those figures beforehand. Yep. Uh, there's a good chance that we'll know those beforehand. I mean, you know, w- we were told two weeks ago that the council had already dipped in to the tune of £290,000 mm. into that insurance. So, yep. you know, we, we understand that okay. money has been spent. So, okay. Well, we have to, we, if she says she doesn't have the figures, then we have to go along with that. And yep. uh, we will wait to find out what happens once they get all the invoices in. Paul, thank you very much for your, all your work on that. Hearts and Bugs News. BBC Three Counties Radio. Here are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Opposition councillors in Luton say the town is now picking up the pieces after the council revealed the number of tickets it sold for the recent Love Luton concerts. The council sold a little over 5,500 tickets in total, though not all at full price. Prior to the event, they said they needed to sell a total of 20,000 for the wanted and Olimers to break even. The pregnant woman attacked in Dunstable last month has given birth to a baby boy. 19-year-old Terry Turner was attacked in Dog Kennel Walk on the morning of June the 26th as she made her way to an appointment with the midwife. Baby Noah was born in the early hours of last Thursday. In sport, Watford drew one all at Boreham Wood in last night's Friendly, their first match under new manager Gianfranco Zola. We'll have a full sports bulletin in 15 minutes. We'll also have the full weather soon. And coming up, across the UK, there are more than 2.5 million blue badges uh, available. The government is looking at possible changes to the criteria for assessing who gets one. We'll hear more about that later on. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is cackling away in the studio at uh, my, my, my cack-handedness at operating no, 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 you're very good. Thanks. Uh, almost convincing. You came down, <laughs> and uh, instead of the friendly banter we usually have, where we yes. high-five and hug, you um, said something quite rude to me. Yes, I, I did. I said that uh, this morning I'd lost all respect that I had for you. Unbelievable. Why? Well, I lost all respect as I was driving in, and you said quite confidently yep. this morning, I believe in UFOs. Yeah, because I've seen one. Okay. Are you saying that in that UFO are little kind of aliens looking out the window? I am saying that I saw an object that was flying that was unidentifiable. And do you not think there must have been a rational explanation for what that object was? What was it? Well, I don't know. Exactly. There must have been something. It's not no. aliens, is it? Why Landing not? on the... Pl- no, oh, for goodness Listen, sake. There, there, listen, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in talking to dead. I don't believe in any of that nonsense, right? But mathematically... Well, mathematically, <laughs> there has to be life forms out in the universe. It's so big. Okay. All right. So, uh, well, we'll agree to disagree. Let's What's not have your show this morning, Jonathan? Let's not have an awkward moment. Yes. Coming up on the big phone in this morning the at nine, phone, yes, I'm asking, are you irresponsible if you don't exercise? Uh, lack of exercise, as you've been discussing this morning, is causing many deaths around the world as uh, smoking, apparently, according to new research, in a series of studies to coincide with the Olympics. Scientists say inactivity is causing five million deaths a year globally, with the UK having some of the lowest levels of exercise. The researchers estimate that worldwide one in ten deaths from heart disease, diabetes and breast and bowel cancer are as a result of inactivity. 
Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views on this. Are you irresponsible if you don't exercise? Are you just lazy? And are you walking towards an early grave? Or... Is it a little more complicated than that? And perhaps, like one of my tweeters this morning, you totally disagree with it. Mm. I had a tweet that said, it's not me that's irresponsible, it's the people who do exercise that are irresponsible. How how, how do they reason that? Uh, Because they're always in hospital with their sporting injuries. That's true. Do you you go to the gym and and work out, Jonathan? Well, I am am a reluctant exerciser. Right. I hate exercise. I hate doing anything that makes me out of breath. Yes. Hate it. Anything. anything but i do i do do it because i kind of feel as if i should yeah do you know what i mean that'll stop i did that for a while and, and then it stopped and you don't do any exercise well i started I, just a couple of weeks ago I, th- I noticed i was getting a little bit of a pot belly i thought i'm gonna do some sit-ups and some press-ups every night and that'll help and i did 10 sit-ups and 10 press-ups i was bathed in sweat and i was absolutely knackered so i knocked that on the head and that's it yeah that's it you've never done it again no no do you think you're irresponsible no well, we'll see if people agree with you or not from nine. Are you irresponsible if you don't exercise? Here's the number. It's 08459 455 555. In every other way, I respect you. It's just the alien business. Thank you very much, Jonathan Vernon-Smith there, who um, I used to like. I've gone right off him, actually. <laughs> gone right off him this morning. Uh, it's time to get the weather now with Steve Weston. We're going to move on quickly because we're running out of time again. It always gets very busy around this time. Did you know, dear listener, that across the UK there are more than two and a half million blue badges floating about? My mum's got one. They're, of course, supposed to make it easier for disabled people to park their cars and get around. But the government is looking at possible changes to the criteria for assessing who gets one. Is it too easy to get a blue badge? What's your experience? Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five our reporter jonathan josephs has been to dunstable to find out what badge holders think about changes to the scheme the blue and white sign in front of me is crystal clear and overwhelmingly familiar to motorists disabled badge holders only it reads but just who should qualify to use parking spaces like this one in the priory gardens church closed car park just behind Dunstable High Street. At the moment, eligibility is often linked to the disability living allowance, but the government's replacing that benefit with what it's calling the personal independence payment. And so, it's having to reassess how it works out who gets a blue badge. With just over 2.5 million in circulation, changes will certainly be far-reaching. So what sort of people currently have the permits which let them park on yellow lines and for free in metered bays. I've got chronic inflammatory demyelinating neuropathy and it affects my arms and my legs. It sort of more or less paralyses my legs. So having a blue badge presumably makes getting around a lot easier for you? Yeah, a lot easier. It enables me to get about. Are you concerned at all that any changes might stop you having a blue badge? Yeah, yeah, I, I am concerned because some people that really, really need it have been refused it anyway. I know people that's had it refused and they do genuinely need it. If they refuse me one, then it would cause a lot of problems for me. I do see a lot of people parking in in spaces who haven't got them and that's very, very, very irritating. Do you think there are too many blue badges in circulation? Do you think the government needs stricter criteria by which to give them out? Well, they give them out to people who are on high the high grade mobility so I mean if that's what they're giving them out on then that's if the people if it's the assessment is okay then that's who should have them isn't it are you at all concerned that when they replace um, the DLA with with the um, personal independence payment because that's what it's going to be linked to 
that you might not get one, that other people who have one now and need one might not get one? I've not looked into what's, what it's going to be and what's going to happen, um, but it would be a big concern to me that if I didn't get one. Yeah, because as I said, I wouldn't be able to get out and about as I do. Well, Helen Dolphin is Director of Policy and Campaigns for Charity Disabled Motoring UK. Good morning, Helen. Good morning. What changes are being proposed? Well, I think we have to clear a few things up. There seems to be quite a lot of misunderstanding. Yeah. Currently, only a third of people that have a blue badge actually get it through the automatic route, and that's the people that get currently get higher rate disability living allowance. Right. And the other two-thirds have it on what's now known as an assessed criteria, so they can basically just apply for a badge. And those are usually people over the age of 65 who wouldn't qualify for the um, for disability living allowance. So there's always there's different routes to get a blue badge, so it's not necessarily going to affect you know that two-thirds of people that currently go through the assessed route these changes aren't going to affect them at all. It's only the people that get it through the, because they get higher rate DLA because that benefit payment is no longer going to exist. So they have to now link it in a different way and, and that's what the government is looking to do. So how, sorry, how, if that benefit, when that benefit is gone, how will these people get the blue badge? What will they have to do? Well, once it's gone, basically when there's no no disability living allowance, a lot of the people that currently get um, DLA will get personal independence payment. Mm. So what the government's looking to do in this consultation is link getting a blue badge to the personal independence payment. And because um, at the moment it's the higher rate mobility component, they're looking at what the kind of equal really kind of component of PIP is going to be. Mm. And although there's going to be an enhanced rate mobility, that's you know, much in some ways it's, it's kind of harder to get than it has been the higher rate DLA. So they're looking at making it an eight-point criteria, which is actually not the enhanced rate, but it's still quite a severe mobility impairment. And that's pretty much akin to the blue badge criteria if you went in through the other route. Right. It's also compl- My mum's got a blue badge, and so I'm particularly I'm fascinated by this. That very well, I know, it's, it's, it's all complicated. It is also complicated. With the changes in benefits and some going and some changing, it's just everything. It's, it's you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of it all, and it's left me scratching my head. Is this going to have... A major impact, do you think, the change in this system? I don't, I, I don't think it's going to have a major impact because I think what they're trying to do is keep the kind of the assessment very similar to what it's currently been. Mm. So, and, and if people don't get the personal independence payment, because obviously the government's saying that they want to cut the number of people on disability living allowance by 20%, they can always try to get a blue badge through the assessed criteria. So there's always another way to try and get a blue badge if you have a mobility impairment. Okay, one of the other problems on a slightly different tangent is uh, the, the, the theft and counterfeits and the misuse of these blue badges. And I, and I know you can, never, you can never judge someone who gets out of a car and looks like they're walking perfectly normally. And who knows what's going on there? But there is a lot of misuse for these badges, isn't there? That's right. Well, at the beginning of uh, this year, the government has like, now introduced a new sort of design of blue badge. And there's now also a, a kind of national database. So they know, so each blue badge, wherever you park in the UK, they know whether it's a genuine badge or not. Right. So that kind of cuts down the kind of people making their own or importing them. But what it doesn't stop is finding people's friends and families yeah. using them. And, you know, blue badge holders have to, you know, make sure that they don't lend them out and they, you know, respect their badge as their own. And local authorities should maybe do more to enforce the scheme and make sure that it is only people that were issued with the badge that are actually using them. Helen, fantastic. Thank you very much. Helen Dolphin is Director of Policy and Campaigns uh, from Charity Disabled Motoring UK, 08459 This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. 
got lots of texts that I'm behind on. Remind me to do those later on. And now, we've been talking about Love Luton this morning, and we had a text in from Dave uh, who said, when is Luton uh, Council going to clear up Wardown Park? It's a disgrace. Well, we sent our reporter, Gareth Lloyd, to see the site of Love Luton over one week on. Now, that's the uh, sound there, if you could hear, of my uh, footsteps on huge, heavy, plastic, temporary roadway. It's not normally the sound you'd expect to hear walking in the middle of Pope's Meadow in Luton, but there's areas of Pope's Meadow uh, that wouldn't look out of place being used for scenes in, in films like Saving Private Ryan. Now, the, uh, the area closest to the old Bedford Road, which was used for the backstage and production, is churned up. It's grassless and it's bearing the scars of huge industrial tyre treads. Now, what's interesting is that the, uh, the plastic roadway that I'm standing on leads off into the park and vanishes under layers of brick and rubble, a hardcore substance. I guess that was brought on site to assist with vehicle movement and uh, was laid here as an emergency to combat uh, the weather conditions of the weekend. Now, who's going to pick up and dig up the hardcore? Who's going to uh, dig up and find this plastic trackway that's uh, laying buried under the site? Who owns the plastic trackway and is uh, is presumably waiting for it to be returned? Are all questions that need addressing. Now, as I struggle to walk on what is normally a, a beautiful green space here in the in the heart of Luton, three huge porter cabins, metal buildings can still be found uh, lying unclaimed and locked up. I guess the concern would be that to remove them off the site you need a, a, a lorry and a crane and that will just make more damage uh, to the site that is, is struggling to survive as we speak. Um, other new additions that I can see to the park are water containers on pallets, road cones, metal fencing, all just lying littered uh, across the site. Now, uh, across the road, uh, across the old Bedford Road in Wardown Park, Things aren't much better. The the churned up, grassless, muddy tracks uh, look like varicose veins etched into the the green flag awarded park. Now that's a prize for well kept and tidy green spaces. Now, some people have estimated that it will take many months to get these parks back into a usable green space. Uh, that's our reporter Gareth Lloyd at the site of the Love Luton Festival, and we've been asking for your calls. If you went and uh, if you enjoyed it, what did you think? What did you make of it? We've got Stephen Heath and Rich. Good morning, Steve. Hi, good morning, Ed. Steve, did you go to Love Luton? I didn't, actually. I've seen all the reports, though. And, and one thing that worries me is that about three weeks ago, you had the chairman of Luton Council on, um, and I don't know whether it was you or one of your colleagues was pushing him for the amount of tickets that have been sold. And he kept saying, I can't tell you because the contract states that we're not allowed to announce how many tickets have been sold. Yes. Which, you know, I found very strange, and I think either you or your colleague found very strange as well. It was David Prever, I think, who did that interview, if I remember correctly, yes. Right, OK. But, but I mean, my concern here is, is listening to the lady that's been on this morning, um, you know, have they actually sent purchase orders to these people that they're expecting invoices from? Number one. Because you, uh-huh. you would know what the invoices are going to be, wouldn't you? That's what well, confused me. Expe- yeah, with the exception maybe of concessionaires who give a percentage back to the council. Mm. But then that would be on an agreed um, basis, and they have a rough estimation. I've, you know, worked on many large events, and this is just, uh, well, it's an aptitude beyond all belief, to be honest with you. And I think what needs to happen is an independent auditor needs to come in and look at this immediately because this is a huge amount of money they're going to be losing. And the estimates range anything, as you said, from 300000 up to half a million now. 
Well, yes, yeah, um, so our reporter come out of our pocket. Well, our reporter Paul was 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 kind of saying it could edge to to close to to half a million. I was erring yeah. on the side of caution to be generous of saying the three hundred thousand. Uh, it does it does strike me as odd that she hasn't even got a rough idea of how no. much money. That's that's what kind of confused yeah. me slightly. Is you you would I think mean, that you would know what was going out and what was coming back in. Well, I mean, if they if they've done it on a no PO basis, purchase order basis, then they're full. Because that means they have no control over what is coming in. And, you know, I'm sorry, I work in, a, in an industry that is process-based and basically invoices come in, they are scanned into a system, they are looked at, they are paid. It's as simple as that. And, you know, if they don't have that technology, then, you know, that's poor. And if they're working on an Excel spreadsheet, that's even worse. Steve, listen, thank you very much for that. We've got to move on. We've got a couple of texts on, uh, on this. Um, and you do, and, and listen, we're not pick, we're not cherry picking these so that they they say one thing or that these are the texts that are coming in. Okay, this is this is what you are saying. So if you disagree with these, you've got another twenty minutes in my show to get in the opposing view. Eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. Uh, tell Hazel. Uh, from the council, that five million people saw newspapers of Lewis Hamilton in Luton. That really, that wasn't really the Love Luton Festival. The publicity wasn't generated by Ollie or the Wanted. That's from Gary. If I organise an event, says Peter, the council insists I have ten million pounds worth of insurance. When the council has an event, they self-insure, which I didn't understand this phrase, self-insure, which basically means they're not insured at all. They pay for losses out of reserves, i.e., yours and mine, council tax. Now, listen, if you disagree with those, because I'm, uh, one thing I'm, I'm keen of, I don't want it to look like we're bashing at all. I, I don't want it to look like I'm bashing at all. So if you disagree with those, if you went and you had a fantastic time and you think it was a great success, and yeah, so what, it cost a, it cost a few quid, it doesn't matter because it, it put Lucent on the map. Do get in touch. 81333, uh, start your text 3CR, or 08459 555. If we get any phone calls saying that, we'll, we'll give you priority. You, you can jump the queue, because I, I really don't want this to look like a one-sided attack, because that's not fair. Uh, OK, got some more texts a bit later on, we'll do those. One of the three counties' brightest Olympic gold medal prospects is in the spotlight on BBC One tonight. Stopfold's Victoria Pendleton goes for a hat-trick of cycling gold medals this summer at London 2012. Tonight we'll, uh, we'll get the chance to see a different side to her. Author Donald McRae is writing a book with Victoria at the moment and works on the documentary. Good morning, Donald. Hi, Ian. Is this a warts and all documentary on Victoria's life? It is, absolutely. Um, you know, she's a fascinating woman and I think this film captures her in all her complexity. She's a particularly feminine woman who talks about herself as being a girly girl and she's been competing for a, de- a decade mm. at the peak of elite sport. And as we all know, elite sport is such a masculine world. Men don't normally show emotion or doubt when they're at the top of sport. But Vicky Pendleton does this on a daily basis. She talks with emotion. She faces up to her darkest doubts and fears. And I think this is what makes her such a compelling figure. And what are her darkest doubts and fears? Um, I think fear of failure mm. and fear of disappointing people who are close to her. Um, and at the heart of the film, there's quite a tumultuous love saga because in 2008, just before she won gold at the Beijing Olympics, she fell in love with um, one of the members of the coaching team, a sports scientist called Scott Gardner. And this all came out um, the, the day after she won gold. And all the other cyclists, all the other coaches were absolutely fuming with her and Scott because this is a, not professional. 
Really? Yeah, well, you know, at work you can meet someone, fall in love with them, that sort of happens. Yeah. But in the elite sport, it is totally forbidden, which you can understand if it's a young gymnast or a teenage swimmer. Yeah, of course. But this, she was 27 years She's old. She's a grown woman. She's 27, Scott was 31, they were both single. Didn't affect anyone else, mm. but um, after she wins gold, basically Scott's almost told, you know, he's got to leave his job that day. So the That's film goes... That's incredible. I know. Uh, but, but this is the 21st century. <laughs> you, you fall in love with someone, you fall in love with them. Oh, okay. Well, I know. Oh. I know. She, she talks all about this, sheds okay. a few tears, and um, I think it's quite interesting. I, I, listen, I'm going to watch it very quickly. How mm. conscious is she? Of, she's a pin-up, isn't she, really? Is she aware of that? Does she enjoy that, or is she a bit embarrassed by that? No, she enjoys it. Okay. <laughs> she Good. certainly laps it up, I think. Good for her. Uh, listen, Donald, we've got to move on. Thank you so much. That's Donald McRae, uh, who's writing a book with um, uh, Victoria Pendleton, and you can see the documentary tonight, and it sounds fascinating. I can't believe that. He had to leave his job because they fell in love. What is this? It's like the Victorian era or something. The documentary, Victoria Pendleton, Cycling's Golden Girl, is on BBC One tonight at 9pm. Thank you very much, Donald. Right. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio at 8.45. Opposition councillors in Luton say the town is now picking up the pieces after the council revealed the number of tickets it sold for the recent Love Luton concerts. The council sold a little over five and a half thousand tickets in total, though not all at full price. Prior to the event, they said they needed to sell a total of 20,000 for the wanted Denali Moors to break even. Bedfordshire police have released pictures of injuries suffered by a thief who tried to steal cable in Luton. A 16-year-old received flash burns to his face and nostrils, and a 20-year-old had third-degree burns to his hands and arm after trying to steal cable from a disused building at Power Court near the town centre. In sport, Watford goalkeeper Scott Loach is set to move to Ipswich. It's possible he will be replaced by former Arsenal keeper Manuel Almunia. I'm guessing I've probably said that wrong, although I'm getting a thumbs up. Experienced defender Fitzhall is also set to join Zola's new look squad. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks, a few brighter spells, but mostly cloudy with showery rain and even thundery showers possible. Maximum temperature will be around 20 degrees Celsius. Well worth a listen, Nick Coffer at midday and of course JVS uh, at nine o'clock. Once it was good to talk... Now it's good to text. Text messages have become the most used method of communication between friends and family, according to an annual survey by the regulator Ofcom. It's also found mobiles are being used less to make calls. Our reporter Gareth Lloyd has been uh, out to put it to the test. Do you text or do you phone more on your mobile phone? What do you use it more for? Quite 50-50. Really? A 50-50 split? Probably it's easier to call most of the time. Apart from when I'm at work at my desk, then it's a quick message. Do you text or do you call more on your mobile phone? Oh, definitely text. I was going to say, you're walking past I'm me. I'm texting at the moment. <laughs> do you reckon there's, uh, is there a split? 50, 50, 80, 20? Oh, God, probably 90 texts. On the text, yeah. thank you. Thanks. Your mobile phone, do you text more with it or do you call more with it? Text. How much do you think? How is it? Would you say it's 90% texting, 10% calling? Um, 90%. <laughs> How many texts do you think you send a day? About 200. Uh, a day? I swear. I'm How not even fr- joking. How many friends have you got? Or is it the same people you're just texting? Yeah, same people, (laughs) now I think about it. Do you use it most for texting or for calling? Um, Texting. How many texts do you reckon you send a day? Oh my gosh, Uh, around 50 or so. Really? Yeah. Same people or lots of different people you text in? Maybe around different people, but same people, like more texts to them, obviously. But you think you use your phone just mainly for texts? Yeah. Not calls anymore? Nah. Your mobile phone, do you use it for texting or do you use it for calling the most? 
I use it for calling, actually. Really? Yeah. You're the first. Oh, no, sorry. It's because I do quite a lot of stuff on the work. So not work. much texting at all? Um, a few texts, but yeah, I'm a bit lazy. I just, I just press, yeah, I'll call you instead. I tell you what's good about that report is not one person said texts. I hate people who say texts. Yeah, I've been sending some texts. No, you've been sending some texts. Texts. I hate it. Um, who have we got? We've got Marion and Stevenage. Good morning, Marion. Good morning. I can't text. Well, I can, but I don't use it. Well, why Why don't you use it? I can't spell. Oh, well, that's something. All of these phones... And all, also, with my job, I couldn't explain what I do when text, because I would say, we don't hit the baby anymore. The wife doesn't get thrown out the... But we don't hit anything what? anymore, so you know it'd be a bit difficult. Hang on. So what? What, what do you? Do, what do you do? Punch Judy. Oh <laughs> my goodness! For a second there, I was terrified. <laughs> I thought we got a live one. You actually do. You actually do Punch and Judy shows. Yeah. So you, you couldn't text that on a no. text. <laughs> need, need, need more sausage, sausages for the baby. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 uh, you actually do the show yourself. Yeah, we do shows. Yeah. It, that seems odd. I've never heard of a, a lady doing Punch oh, and Judy. Oh well, that's a bit there are a few of us around. Really? Do yeah. you do Because Punch and Judy, let's be honest, is very nasty, isn't it? Do you do the proper nasty version? No, not anymore. Oh, not ever since. Not ever since we were working in the headquarters of Kempston Police Station, and like, all of us, it was pouring rain, so all the, we were working indoors, and all of a sudden a camera came. You know, we could hear, hear the cameras in the foyer, yeah. and we had a, the phone went on the desk, and the the, the sergeant. Deckoned me over and he, in, I picked up the phone and said, Hello. He said, Don't you dare hit the policeman. This is the chief constable. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, we've never done it. You had to change. What's the name of the, the thing you put in your mouth to do the voice? A fossil. A, th- a, th- a what? A throzzle. A throzzle? A throzzle. A throzzle. Yeah. And how, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm fascinated by, by this more than the, the, what you called in for. How long have you been doing this, Marion? Um, oh, too long, about oh. 19. Dot, 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 wow. 1970s, some of Oh, bless you. And is there much of an audience for it? Uh, we were in Kingsland on last Saturday, and we had um, two or three hundred in the audience for four shows. Fantastic. And so that's the reason you, you can't send text, because you can't spell, and you don't want people to get the wrong idea and think you're some yeah. kind of abusive person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Marion, listen, thank you very much for that. There we go. Fantastic. Isn't it funny, if you talk to someone about something, and you just push them ever so slightly, the odd stuff that comes out, it's brilliant. I love it. I love it. Uh, we were talking about swearing earlier on, and we've got some texts on this. Uh, this is from David on swearing. Football isn't a gentleman's game. It's a ruffian's game. So you will get swearing. Ruffian, there's a word we don't hear uh, often enough. Uh, and Cynthia in High Wycombe says, There is no need for swearing at football or out in public places. I hate it when children use swear words to communicate. Um, and Esther, talking about swearing at work. I can't stand swearing in our workshop. It sounds silly and a lack of English and education. My floor manager swears a lot. Uh, I call him a potty mouth. Isn't it strange that he apologises if he does it when I walk past? I've got some more text. We'll try and fit in before the end of the show. But if you've got a dog, you're being told to keep it under control this summer to protect postmen. Last year, 3,000 workers were attacked by dogs in the UK. That's down uh, on the year before. But Royal Mail want to see the numbers reduced further. Ian Stockdale is their head of safety management. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, Ian. Uh, this is, is, it sounds like the start of a bad joke, doesn't it? I, I wasn't aware that this actually happened in the real world. But it, it's a big thing, is it? It is. I mean, I, I know there's this kind of caricature, you know, the, the almost um, cartoon you know, image of mm. this, but actually it's a very serious issue. I mean, you talk about the numbers there. You know, we, we've had over 24,000 of our people have been attacked by dogs since 2006. Wow. 
And you go underneath those figures, Ian, and, you know, we're talking in some instances about quite horrific injuries to our people, you know, to the extent that there's kind of permanent and long-lasting harm. What happens then? So, so I'm assuming someone, someone might get their hand bitten quite badly or something. What happens? Does the postman have to go back to that house to carry on delivering the mail? Can he refuse to go to that house? How does it work? Um, well, clearly, I mean, any instant, I mean, we try to work with our customers because, you know, obviously what we, we do is we deliver mail and, and we want to continue to do that. So we try to work with our customers to come to something which, some situation and arrangement which ensures we can do that, but also protects the safety and welfare of our delivery people. Um, you know, and quite clearly, uh, you know, if one of our people feels that threatened, mm. um, you know, at, at an address, then... You know, we would say if there's a, a present danger for them, then then don't deliver. The number of attacks is down on last year, so that's got to be a good sign, hasn't it? Absolutely. You know, we would thank all of our customers that have worked with it, and there have been, you know, a lot of customers have worked with us to try and, you know, resolve some of these situations, and, and that, you know, is reflected in the work we've done internally, plus, you know, what some of our customers have done, and, and that's why the numbers have come down, but, you know, the number's still too high. Ian, what is your advice to dog owners? What, what, are, you, what are you trying to say to them? Well, during these, these summer, well, school holidays, and particularly these summer periods, you know, we, we'd look for people to, to do some common sense things, really. And, I mean, what we're asking is, you know, if you know when your postman or woman typically delivers mail to your address, then you can you try and keep your dog indoors during that period, or if you have a back garden and that's closed off, can you keep them in the back garden with the access closed? Then, obviously, our delivery person can get in and out without having to come into contact with the dog. But equally, sorry. No, I was going to say, I guess part of the problem is that, that there is such an inconsistency this day, these days on what time the postman comes. When I was a kid, the postman came at 7.20 and then he came at 2.30. And now, you know, my postman is fantastic and he's a great bloke and I always have a chat with him. But mm. it could be any time, you know, sort of between 9 and 2 sometimes. Yeah, I'd recognise what you're saying, and I think, you know, if, if uh, you know, if you do know, and that's why I put it in the context, if yeah. you do know when they're going to turn up, because, I mean, typically I, I do know when my postman turns up, um, and that's why I say, you know, if you have got a back garden, make use of that, you know, because if you, if you have got variable, you know, variable times, um, you know, and if it's really not practical to keep your, your dog out of the way, then, you know, there is always the option, um, to, which we could ask you to consider, you know, of, of fitting a secure mailbox at the edge of your property. Uh, Ian, listen, thank you very much uh, for that. That's Ian Stockdale, who's the head of safety management uh, for Postman, for the Royal Mail. Um, it, it does sound like a, you know, a cartoon, doesn't it? It's, it's the cartoon image of a, a postman getting his backside bitten by a dog, but it happens, and there's some quite nasty injuries are going on. So just keep an eye on that. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is coming up. I can see him warming up his studio. Uh, we've got time to fit in some of these texts, which is great. We haven't had a call from anyone kind of giving the thumbs up to the Love Luton Festival, and I'm, I was keen to get one because I don't want it to sound like I'm attacking them. I don't want it to be a completely one-sided thing, and I could see how someone might get the impression it is. I want this to be as, as neutral as possible, but um, all the texts we've had have kind of been knocking it a bit. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more tomorrow. We were asking bands that you thought were overrated. I'm really disappointed in some of you. Rosie in St Albans never liked the Beatles. But then her excuse, her reason for not liking the Beatles is very odd. Never liked the Beatles. Soon as I hear those descending cellos, I cringe. Are the Beatles famous for descending cellos? Really? I don't know. Uh, morning, Ian. Overrated Coldplay. I just don't get them. They're so depression. Yeah, Coldplay is is an obvious uh, target. Coldplay is an obvious target because they are they are bobbins. On it, I heard Coldplay once described as um, music for people who don't like music, which is is harsh, 
but but possibly fair. Also, never understood the attraction of Elton John, Lorraine and Burnham. I so the, the early Elton John, I quite dig actually. Now, I, I was always thought was, I think he was tainted by the eighties when some of his songs were a little bit silly. Judy from Hatfield, the Beatles never rated in my eyes, and don't get me started on ABBA. ABBA are a good pop band, aren't they? Um, oh, we're talking about phones as well. We've got some great calls on, on uh, the phones. The, the decline in the number of phone calls compared to text. More people are texting than making phone calls. Phone calls are on their way out. I use my landline all the time as I get absolutely no reception on my mobile indoors, says Anonymous. Dial a disc. I think the original number for dial a disc was 16, says Gary and Luton, but then someone else... Uh, says, uh, this is, this makes more sense. Chris in Great Denham. From memory, the jingle went, dial 160, where the music says hello, you're through to the Woolworths disc line. This is good. Kids, you don't know you're born with your Spotify and your Shazams and your iTunes and all that nonsense, your MP3s. You used to have to go into a phone box, put five pence in and, pl- and dial a number. You could then dial a number one to ten to hear the top ten single of your choice. I feel old now. Cheers. Chris. It is old. Um, what else have we got? Uh, we've got one more on the phone. Uh, it's 60 pence for about half an hour in a call box. Is it? 60 pence for half an hour. I went to use a phone box two months ago. Went to four of them, but they were vandalised, so I gave up. We might do something on phone boxes, because I'm amazed that they're still around. They're sort of getting rid of them now. But there's still a few around. Who, who uses a phone box? Why would anyone use a phone box in the year 2012? Rant over. Travel news now. Here's Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's for drivers who have short journey. Oh, no, we don't. We don't have Sophie Tyler. Sophie Tyler has been stuck in the traffic that is the internet. Let's try now. Sophie, are you there? No, Sophie has disappeared. There is no travel. Hello indeed, the Jonathan Vernon-Smith team, as they wander in, not knowing what's ahead of them. Well, I think they know what's ahead of them. Well, never mind. We can talk about what's on Jonathan's show. Oh, let's try this one. Sophie, are you there now? I'm here now. I do apologise, Sophie. Where you go? That's right. Thank you. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, you did an excellent job. Well done. Thank you very much. Time for me to say ta-ta. Jonathan's coming up next. Beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 